0: Be advised the suspect is armed and considered extremely dangerous.
1: Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perotin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perotin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.
2: Hey, everybody, it is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio, wishing you well on this October 3rd, 2022. And um, it is it was 71 degrees outside today. So um, tomorrow will be the same. And Wednesday, it will also be in the 70s, extending our summer a little bit longer. Welcome, very uh, Welcome to Bolo solitude surfer jlm and of course crabby turtle thank you if you haven't subscribed to the channel please do so um the metrics are looking good um we are closing in on that four thousand hour mark to be monetized which is kind of a big thing right so we are getting there thank you so much for watching um before we start to talk about this week next week we have guests um Megan Asui, on who will be on the show. So let me bring up uh, the thumbnail for that. Just a second. Okay, here we go. All right, so Megan is going to talk about fitness in chaotic times, and she is a fitness professional in the Seattle, Washington area. Um, so I've I've been uh, talking to Megan for the last few weeks, and, and we've been going through roughing out kind of a show outline, but yes, very much looking forward to that. Specifically for my book, The Velocity of Information, I have the chapter in there about the fitness and fortitude campaign, which never happened, and it should have in March and April of 2020. The first thing, right, for a national campaign that would have made sense is to try to get everybody as fit as possible, and nutrition and wellness and all of that didn't happen. But uh, Megan is going to help us understand, you know, if that if that were to happen, here's what actually motivates people. And that'll be a big part of that show. So uh, Megan, a week from today, will be the guest here on the Safety Doc Podcast. That one is running a little bit earlier, 7 o'clock. Um, so I will have a, the thumbnail and, and everything um, out for that within a day or two. But um, we do have in the house believe here, it believe or it or not... It. Uh, uh, I have to, I have to mute. There we go. We, we have the safety cam. Look at that, folks. We've got the, we've got the safety cam back in the house and uh, I'm going to move the safety cam. There's the safety cam. Well, oh, hello, safety cam. Look at that safety cam's over there. We have the safety cam in the house. So yes, the safety cam is looking, Uh, looking at us. Uh, welcome safety cam. Welcome very much uh, to the house. Here we have the safety cam. So yes, over on, um, side there safety cam will switch up so um a few things here just let me do a welcome to toy town welcome to our good friend toy town um tonight's show is going to be on swatting and what swatting is uh, you probably heard this in the news recently swatting um, when somebody calls in and says there is an intruder in a school right but that person who's making that call that's a hoax and the person who's making the call might be a thousand miles away and this has been um, kind of en- uh, endemic, you know, the last, for the start of the school year, right? We're going to talk about one day, I think it was September 21st in, in Minnesota, they had 15 of these called in. Uh, so, you know, emergency responders are assuming uh, that this is an authentic event. And so, you know, we're going to talk about that because I also taught my superintendent class this past weekend. And we brought it up in, in class and and what it, what are you being told from your professional organizations what are you doing locally for this uh so yeah it is it is pretty intense uh so we're going to go back and we'll talk about swatting and i'll talk about it in the school context and also what is happening um and also and also kind of what isn't happening in the school context so hey we have uh all we have a uh, toy town hey toy town we have uh all a judge on January 6th case got swatted. Oh my goodness, Andrew. Wow. Um, Pro Livingston, uh, falling in. So, with, uh, with his bicycle right there. So, yeah, um, we have biking weather here for the next few days, but I am having um, concrete poured on the side of my garage and pushed out this concrete pad. Um, and anyway, the, the long story there is I, I want to be here when all of that is going on. So um, I, let me bring up an image here uh, to give you, give you an idea. So on the side of my garage, I have this concrete pad, um, which had deteriorated um, over the past, well, many years. We've lived here 20 years, and this pad had been on the side of the garage. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share Cam to I'm just gonna give a context here. So thank you for being in the show. Thank you for the the thumbs up. Thank you for watching again. The show is doing great. We have a terrific guest in line for next week. So, um, what in the world is this? I, I want to do this. Hmm. All right. Oh, this is. I see what's going on here. Ah, there we go. Dun dun. dun. Okay. So to give you some context. Um, so obviously this is my garage. Um, we had a concrete slab over here when we moved in and it was something that we assumed the homeowners just added, uh, what the neighbors told us who lived here at the time we moved in on this property over here. So this fence is like right on the property line. Um, I had the, this property surveyed and literally like right on the line so i put this in you know by a half foot to make sure there isn't any question ever Um, but this thing had had several cracks in it and what actually happened is over here um this was all was was built upon sand so it was concrete on sand and over here was like a clay and and dirt so this was tilting toward the foundation and actually was kind of um burrowing into the foundation or, or actually damaging the foundation so the um the, so the foundation's okay now that it has this pressure off of it, but um, I needed to get that out of there. Plus it only came out to about right here. So I, so we pushed it out another um, about six feet. So you can tell like this piece of edging right here, this was the end of the, the concrete as it went around. So we pushed it out actually about six feet and then we angle it. It used to angle to about right there. We angle it all the way up to the next concrete pad. So the benefit on this is that in winter here in Wisconsin, pulling up in the driveway, nobody can get out on the side of the garage. The garage isn't that big. For, it has two vehicles, and you just can't get out um, if, if you're in the passenger side but if i pull up here right and i I stop in winter i'll snowplow or i will uh snowplow all of this out so this will allow anybody to get out without any problem right so that that was one of the big reasons for doing this and i I really couldn't pull it this out much further because then you run into issues with the property line and i didn't even you know because you never know how long these neighbors are going to be here right i don't want to i don't want to run into issues with with some people moving in and saying ah you know it's it's on our property or it's not but um so yeah anyway this this will give me an opportunity I can pull a vehicle over here uh this is nine foot six inches and actually that that driveway is only eight foot on each side so can can easily get a vehicle around and, and in here if I need to I've got two outlets on the side who knows about electric vehicles right <laughs> so hey, it's Vanessa in the chat hi Vanessa um so yeah this will be so what they did is they dug all of this out. And they also dug down on the foundation to make sure everything was was okay there because again that one concrete slab had cracked and was was all of these concrete slabs over It just this was awful, right? And as as the, the contractor said, it looks like whoever did this just kind of right. This was just a project they did on on a weekend, right? Because it wasn't compacted underneath. And and again, that was probably put in actually maybe 25, 30 years ago. So all of that was taken out. And I have steel siding, so I was kind of nervous about that, and I was hoping, like, none of this would get cracked. These, um, you know, this is the original 40-year-old slab. So that all held up well. Um, So tomorrow they're – so they brought in several loads of gravel. Like, this goes down uh, four inches. They dug all of this out four inches. And it initially has been compacted. They'll come back tomorrow, and they'll compact this one more time. And then Wednesday morning, the concrete truck arrives – and it will, they'll pour all of the concrete. Now the truck will, (laughs) so one of the things I had to specify is the truck will stay on the road because, um, you know, pulling a concrete truck onto a driveway, you can crack the driveway and and all of that. So the concrete truck will stay on the road. I'm actually gonna put my garbage containers down at the end so they can't, they won't be able to bring it in. So they're gonna do that and then they'll use a little, skid loader which they actually use to clean all of this out and dig down they'll use a skid loader bucket to just bring in the concrete and and dump it and, and pour it in here so um, so yeah uh, just you know that's what what is going on and I'm um, I'm looking forward to it um, you know it, it's a it's one of those projects where and let me show you let, let me bring up another angle on it here so here's what it looks like from the back so again um this is the the side of the garage it's all steel siding i found out something really interesting um steel siding is very hard to have fixed like nobody will take dents out of steel siding and i and i don't say that because you can see a little um skid loader yet here it's not the guy didn't dent up the siding but over the years the siding this side has acquired some dents mostly from the neighbor kids and stuff like that baseball stuff like that um so i was just kind of checking like is there any way to to have dents removed and like nobody does that i checked with our insurance company i checked with like people that remove dents out of cars and they just said (laughs) steel siding is is very hard to work with for dent removal and no one was willing to touch it so I have a few dents in the air. It's not a big deal because, like, no one ever looks at the side of the, the house anyway. And um, it doesn't impact the function of the siding at all. Uh, so, but it was kind of a weird thing because I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Um, it doesn't sound good. So, yeah, I had this. And then also right up here is that concrete curbing that I had installed in June all the way around the house, which is awesome. <laughs> that replaced the plastic that the squirrels ate, you know, to get the stones in. And they, they took all of this out without messing with this at all. This is great. So they'll put a little, little foam piece in here. So there's a little bit of it. So the concrete doesn't run up right against it. And then, you know, I'll cosmetically do something with that pack and a little sand or something like that. Um, And then over here, like next, next year, this is between us and the neighbor. I'll clean all of this out and then, you know, put a really nice stone in there. And then actually on the, on the top here, I talked to our neighbor. And I said, I'll I'll finish this off. I've got some edging, and I'll finish this directly over to your property, and then I'll I'll make sure that you know I bring in new stones and all of that stuff. They're like, they're really cool about it. They're like, yeah, don't worry about it. Um, so yeah, actually, this will be brought up a little bit if you can look. So that red line right there, um, that is the, and that's just that's just on the surface or the stuff there. But this red line is where the cement will be. So it'll actually it will actually be a full inch and a half higher than the slab. and actually the slab you can tell like sink down. Um, so this will have this will be significantly higher and this has a quite a quite a decent slope here. so of course any water is going to run down and the roof goes up and down here so there isn't a gutter. There's usually not. I mean what you got to worry about here is not worry, but there's snow. So there's still four inches between the steel siding and the the pad. And we live on top of a hill, so there'll never be snow here, right? They will, they will never do that. So Vanessa is saying, did they put drainage underneath? Uh, what they did, Vanessa, is they dug this down, and they put four inches of what you see here, uh, gravel. in. so they brought several loads of gravel. Um, so, yeah, and we have sandy soil. This is then underneath is 100% sand where we live. So, um, and we're on the top of a hill. We never, ever have standing water. It all just, you know, it it drains away. Um, what, uh, what originally was here was sand underneath when they removed the concrete slabs, this was sand and a lot of it had eroded. So it was like all tilted in and like doing, it, it was putting some pressure here on the foundation. Now this is eight inches thick. So that's just kind of exterior stuff, but that was one of the reasons to remove that slab. And then, um, so as you can see, like that is that is four inches deep, uh, right there. This is four inches uniform deep, and then underneath the sand. So drainage drainage won't be a problem. And then they're going to come in in tomorrow again with the uh, the compactor and go through it uh, one more time and, and really put this down tight before they the pour will happen on Wednesday morning. Um, and that's with a fiber mesh um, in it. And and so this was poured; it didn't have anything in it. No, there wasn't any rebar or anything. So the fiber mesh will give it um, 3,500 to 4,000 PSI. We're only going to ever park a car over here. So that should be plenty. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. And then in spring, of course, you know, bringing in and kind of filling this, this out and making it look good. But, uh, so this goes nine foot six inches. So it looks like it's, it's not, it looks like it's crooked, right? but that's an optical illusion. This, the fence is crooked. (laughs) So the fence is not put in on a straight line. That's our neighbor's fence. Um, this is always nine foot, six inches from the, the foundation. So, um, and that's the way the previous concrete was, was too. And it does follow within. And, but the fence is actually like right on right, literally on the property line and the, and the property kind of wedges out like a pizza. So, um, but from the road and, and stuff, like, you'll never notice it, and it's it's nothing weird. But, you know, when you're looking at it, it's like, well, why is that? Well, no, it's still nice. But it'll be nice because it's going to, to be a little bit higher, and then it'll have a, a little more of a slope to it. Um, the other stuff was just trash. So, yeah, he had his – this is what was back in there, this little skid loader. And uh, he was pulling stuff in and out. So, the skid, so the concrete truck will be out on the road, and then the skid loader in the bucket, they'll put the concrete and bring the concrete in. Um, and, fit, and then this tree or this fire bush, that's about a foot distance there. Um, so, I think what I'm going to do in spring is I'm going to take this fire bush and move it up about 20 inches toward the road. It's 15 feet from the road right now. So, I think I'm going to move it up about 20 inches. So, I have like a little, so I can take a lawnmower like through this this area right here. Um, but anyway, it's it's going to be great when it's done. It was just all it lit, it broken. Like, the, you know, the chunks of it would be up an inch and a half, and it was moving, and it would have this fulcrum effect. It was damaging the exterior of the foundation here. Again, that's just cosmetic. That's eight inches wide and, like, four foot deep. And this isn't a load-bearing wall anyway. Um, but it's going to look really nice. And also, like, if we do like a barbecue, you know, a grill and stuff, having put, you know, being able to put a grill out here is going to be awesome. Um, I, you know, of course being able to just, you know, swing a vehicle over here. And, and yeah, you know, if, if we ever need to, to do that, that was a reason to do this, but yeah, just making this a functional space because otherwise this never went out that far. It just kind of terminated like right, right about here. So th- it just, it had no, it was completely not functional. The reason the guy put it in um, who was a who was a pastor by the way who, who had this house built in 78, 1978 um, he bought a boat and then he, he poured this had this slab poured over here and that's where he put his boat. <laughs> so but'm I'm, I'm excited about it um, because I think it's just it'll look really nice because it looked horrible what was over there. It completely was non-functional. And it never went out far enough up here. So you could never do anything that made sense with it, right? Like, you know, like swing a vehicle over. And then in winter, again, when I'm bringing my vehicle, um, my car up, and, you know, it's like, you know, my wife or kids are going to get out. It's like they have to get out into a snowbank. You know, I can kind of plow over somewhat. But now I can clearly, like, I'll probably plow from, like, this outlet over, and then this will all stay snow. There's no reason to, you know, in winter to do anything back here. but the other thing is i wanted to make this so i think i'm going to stack um firewood out here um not this year but next year and i would do it like kind of in in like this area keep it far enough away from the siding you know so if it did anything fell, like it's not going to dent the siding or any mar the siding but i think i would take this this corner like right here probably put down some two by fours right and i would stack maybe about four feet high, not any higher than that, but
0: um,
2: you know, three cords maybe out there. And then I would, that would be my first burn. Um, So I'm getting out there before we have a lot of snow. So maybe early November, early December. And then I would start to go into my basement because like it, it just takes up a lot of time. and takes up a lot of space in my basement. Um, But I think I would do this as my first burn pile, like right over here, which would be really nice. So yeah, so I've got I've got some ideas um, kind of planned for this, but they found all kinds of crazy stuff under here. By the way, they found um, <laughs> they found like edging, like plastic edging was under the concrete. They found like you know pieces of metal under uh, under, and they found like huge, like football sized stones were under here, which also like made the concrete pad unstable. So you know they, when they dug down, so they dug down at least four inches below all this, if not five inches. And over here toward the foundation, they dug this down, you know, about a, two feet to just check the foundation to make sure everything was okay, which it was. And then, um, but yeah, so I'm excited. I am I'm really looking forward to having this, this done. Um, it had been something on my wish list for quite a while. Um, JLM says, looks like it's a steep grade. So let me go back here, buddy. So right right the door to here is a pretty good drop um here to here is one eighth inch every foot so i don't know what is at nine nine feet so about inch and a half so it is a good drop um which is for drainage right because then this goes with my my neighbors and um and really like it's If I did park a vehicle over here, that's not a problem. And, uh, if I do, you know, put firewood over here, you know, I'll just stack it accordingly, but I want it to have a drop because I don't want any water coming toward the foundation. Um, and so that, that's why we did kind of exaggerate the drop a little bit because again, it's sandy soil and all of that. And I, and I will fill this in with a self leveling caulk, um, next, um, summer. Whatever the gap is here, I will go and put down some um, backing rod and then, you know, do self-leveling um, caulk all the way along here. So, but uh, it'll look good. It, it, it'll it look great, actually. It's just so nice. I mean, because I, I sit like right over here most of the time. Um, you know, I sat out there tonight, actually, with my, with my chair. So. Um, yeah, let's do, let's do this. We're not going to spend all, all day here on the the stuff, but so this is, this is what it looks like as you're, as you're coming into the garage, right? So it previously, previously this joint was the end. You would, um, it, it it's it slanted from here to like right there where this, this piece of, edging is so it kind of it went over and this is all cracked and stuff like that on this side so like again six foot and then also like all the way out to here but you can tell it gets really close to where i i I did these hand scalps myself i still have some extra stone these scalps so this will this will look a little odd for a while And the fire bush is really doing great so i'll have to take my time in spring and dig dig out the fire bush and then just move the fire bush about 20 inches and, and recast all of the scalp stone, but that's not a big deal. I can do that. Um, so yeah, the driveway is in great shape for being 40 years old. I mean, there's just little cosmetic marks from when they came in and out here, but driveway is not cracked. And, and so, yeah, this, this will, um, from here over that's 11 feet and the driveways, you know, these pads are only eight feet wide, so it's kind of an optical illusion. This is, you know, say three foot wider. And again, you know, just longer. And I kind of like this. I just, I sit literally, guys, I sit in my, my, there's my bike back there, by the way. There's my bike. There's a boom box I got in 1984, a JVC. <laughs> Bought that new from Camelot Music. So um, two, two tape decks on that, on that thing. Um, but yeah, I, I sit right here, you know, all of, you know, June, July, August, and I sat out there tonight in my lawn chair. And now it's like, boom, I've got this area. And, and like right here, this is, you know, first of all, you can see, you can pull a vehicle in without any problem, no problem there. But like, this will be great for grilling, right? Because um, I don't want to grill in the back because I, I do have a porch back there, but the problem is I have, um, I have a three season porch with um, mesh, which is to keep cats from clawing it up and stuff like that, which works great, but I don't want any heat near that. Of course we got steel, this is all steel siding. So, you know, if I put my grill like right here, you know, I'm in business. Like now I have a nice, nice grilling area where, you know, I don't have any heat that's going to be near the garage. And so it's just a win-win. Um, So this is a project I wanted to, I I had this quoted out last year and then I, I don't know what happened. The guy got busy or something like that. But um, anyway, so you okay, so are like, "Holy smokes, Doc! You're talking a lot about this. It's a big thing. I'm excited about it." So by on Wednesday they come in and and they they do that. Um, so let's go back to the uh, to the chat here. Um. So they didn't find Hoffa, Ron Wayne. No, they didn't. Um, it's always interesting in my town because we are the third oldest city in Wisconsin, and well until as well into the 60s when they would build houses and roads, they would find bodies because people were buried all over. This was Native American land of the Winnebago and also first settlers here, so it was pretty common to you know put an addition on your garage and you you know find two skeletons, right? So that isn't as common anymore, but no nothing on this side of the nothing on this side of the house but they just obviously just they they i think they had a garden there at one time and then they just like you know put the slab on top of it and and just a lot of junk and stuff like that so um so welcome ron wayne welcome to cnt ct look behind me because yeah one of these days buddy your safety dock design is going to be back there and i'm going to uh kind of rearrange everything that's back there to make that the centerpiece. So scoop. Dun, dun, dun. Um, so welcome Ron Wayne. And again, next week, we have uh, Megan Megan on the show. So that's going to be a great one. Hey, it's a bacon. Um, do blazing saddles. It might have to be a watch party on discord. Oh my goodness. I have the original DVD. Well, I have the DVD of the unedited versions of blazing saddles. Um, I heard, Ron Wayne, I heard that some here just got home, time for class, work, beers, and good shows. All right, uh, Vanessa, I missed the watch party again, exhausting. Oh, no, Vanessa, sorry you caught a cold. It was 71 today, and it's going to be 72 tomorrow, and I think 74 the day they pour the concrete. But then it drops to 59 and like 29 overnight, but I don't think that'll be an issue because um the ambient temperature of the soil and stuff will still be warm and then it bounces back up into the 60s so it's actually a good time for pouring concrete because it's not really hot you want a little bit of of a slower cure but um so let's check misty mrs wayne welcome um coughing and sore throat oh no we'll take care take care um Okay, so uh, uh, something else. So I ordered a new, um, a new headset. So these are headphones. Um, and, and I forget which which these are lyX. Um, and and they've been good, but um, they they're starting to kind of wear out and stuff like that. and, and you know, this is kind of basic basic headset. So but I actually headphones, but I ordered a headset. And it is a HyperX Cloud 2. They had it on sale for like $73. It's usually $100. And I asked, so I asked the head of Wisconsin um, gaming for esports, I, Mike, I asked Mike, It said, what's a good headset where, you know, with a microphone and stuff like that? He's like, HyperX, like go with that. And they have these on sale and it's USB. So it's like, boom, everything I need, they'll arrive on Wednesday. So, um, so I think the next show I am going to ditch my, my Yeti. And I'm going to try when I have the show Monday with, uh, Megan, I'm going to try to do the heads. I, I like that. Look, I'd like the look. It looks like an NFL announcer. Um, I'd like using my headset. The problem with my current headset, my $30 Logitech 390, it's a good headset, but because it has the small kind of ear things that sit on the ear your ears get sore, you know, for an hour or two, and it, you know, the the, the audio quality is okay. It's not, it's not great. So I, I think I'm going to have a significantly better quality with the um, HyperX um, headset, which will have the microphone right in and the headphones. So uh, that'll be here for for Monday's show. Um, so hey, I wanted to share with you also that there is another David Proden. He's David D Proden. And he's in Thailand, but he speaks English. So we both are in education. We both uh, study linguistics. So it's kind of crazy. And I received an email. I, I, frequently, I receive emails from people trying to contact him. He publishes a, a lot. Like, so his Google Scholar page is like, <laughs> you know, it's endless, right? And he's a great guy. So he's always, you know, conferences, and just doing a, I've, I've watched him through YouTube. He's, he really does a lot of great stuff. So, um, someone sent something to him, but they sent it to my address, my email address. So, I, I took it and I, I forwarded it to him at his university address. He teaches in Thailand. And he got back to me and he's like, hey, you know, thank you. And I, and also, the, you know, he said, I've been watching the podcast, right, and and, you know, some of your work and appreciate it. And. I said, no, you know, I appreciate you because if anyone's doing a search for me online, they probably find your, your Google scholar page, which, you know, has like 300 articles on it. And they're like, holy smokes, look at a safety doc. Um, but, but yeah, so that is something. Yeah, he's David D. Perodin. I'm David P. Perodin, But if you just type in David Perotin and there's a lot of similarities like in, in the things that we do. So it's kind of, kind of a neat thing. Um, See, so yeah, I taught that university course on Saturday. And a great, great class. It was Oktoberfest in Lacrosse, Wisconsin, which has the world's biggest six-pack, by the way. And uh, so, when you leave class, and I, I alerted my students to this, I said, when you leave, there'll be tens of thousands of people walking on the streets. So, and maybe not all as alert as they should be. So, like your exit from campus will be very slow, which it is. People are friendly, you know, they're they're happy. But um, but you're really moving at a snail's pace as you exit campus and try to get back to like the interstate or something like that. So um, I just I got a kick out of it because the last two years I've had class on Oktoberfest and it's been warm and sunny. So everybody's out. Um, But one of the things that we covered in class and it was it was a terrific class. I think I've I've improved my teaching this year. I've, I've incorporated more interactive activities. Uh, one activity I included was having students uh, break up into groups of two, right? The whole class and say, um, you're going to testify before your legislators, which happens in our state, but no one had testified before their legislators on school budgets or, you know, whatever whatever it was, you know, regarding school issues. And um, I gave them This outline. There were like, there's four points in it, because I've done this a number of times, right? I said, you know, first thing is you introduce who you are and why you're qualified to testify. And your qualifications aren't your resume necessarily. So, um, but you do that. And the second thing you say is, I am in support of this bill or I'm opposed to it. That's it. (laughs) Third thing is you have a personal story. And the fourth thing is you have a fact, um, which can be local or like a national fact. It's kind of irrefutable, right? Like you can kind of cite it and that's it. You have four minutes to present. So I split people into groups and then I said, work as a team. And then whoever's going to speak. And, you know, they came up in front and I put a timer, I put this timer out in front of them and I had to count up to four because I didn't want to do like where it counts down to four and it beeps because that's kind of annoying. I think it's kind of unprofessional. And they, they asked, they said, if you present, like, do you, do they like cut you off at four minutes? And I said, no, you know, they will, they'll tell you like you have 30 seconds to go and, and, Right, you have to wrap things up. Right, they're not going to let you speak another minute or two. But, but I said pretty. It's informal, but it's kind of intimidating, right? Because it's, it's state capital and before committee. And, um, but I wanted people to experience what that was like. So I had I had them do that, and then I actually did one that a testimony that I gave. I said, and and I I gave this testimony um, so they could see it. And I said, you know, this is, I think this is a prof- professional expectation of you at this stage of the game as a superintendent and i would if you're not being asked to do this i would contact your representatives your your organizations right or your um legislators in your area and say hey anything comes up with school school safety school funding you know these areas please call me and and you know if i'm able to testify right i definitely will which is about four minutes so um out of these two groups then they appointed one person to testify so they are testifying before a committee. So they're just advising the committee, right? And I said, you know, it does, it kind of seems intense, but like no one's going to cross-examine you and <laughs> they'll, they'll record, and you only need a sheet of paper. Like you're not going to read things off. It's, it's not as formal as you think it is, but still it needs to be very professional. So I think it can be professional and informal. So they each appointed someone from their groups to do this. And then after everybody got done, after each person got done presenting, we applaud it. I think that's a, that's a very key part of teaching, right? Because whoever is presenting, whoever is going out and is doing this um, and testifying, and as I, as I said, like if you actually did this, right, you practice this several times, and you know. But but here, I just want you to get the format of how this would work, right, and kind of get a feel for it. And none of them had done this before, which is kind of weird because like I've done this many times. And I think it is an expectation, and I don't think their organizations utilize them enough to do this. And then also on their part, they need to contact their organizations and say, I'm willing to do this, um, so let me know, which is basically driving to the state capitol and and coming in and be called to testify. You have to be on a a list to testify on a bill and stuff like that. So I said, there isn't any cross-examination. Don't worry about it. So when every each person got done, you know, there was a round of applause because I wanted the person to feel good. Right. And, and both of them did a great job because, you know, you're kind of putting yourself out there a little bit to, to present. Um, but that was a really great thing. You know, it's a, something new. I added to class and I, I'm actually going to revise my syllabus and talk with the Dean because I said, you know, I think self-advocacy, not self-advocacy, but just like, um, what would I say? Um, uh, professional advocacy or advocacy in the field is missing from the curriculum, um, and not that that's necessarily required to be there, but I think it's an enhance an enhancement of the curriculum to teach people how to do that. And I know through writing a journal article or through testifying, you know, at a state level or meeting with one of your legislators, and you know, you don't have to be on PBS like the doc here, but um, so. So, yeah, I, that was, that was a great thing. I'm glad I added it in Um, and I'm going to, again, change things. So, so we do that more often. So I wanted, so one of the, so one of the case studies this week um, in, in my superintendent class was about emotional support animals and get this. So I said, you know, emotional support animals, there's a, this is pretty frequent you know, happening in schools, right? Like, a s- emotional support, snake, chicken, and like a sugar glider squirrel are kind of like the big three, obviously a dog too, but a dog is typically a service animal, and, and so some people had some experience with this, Um and one of my students, I said, you know, look at your board of education policy, because a lot of times the policy will say the superintendent will make the final decision, and they're like, oh, I don't know about that, you know, I'm a superintendent, and I probably wouldn't be the person making that decision to be the principal or the whatever. So this this one superintendent, great, you know, great student, right? He looks through his policy and he says, "Oh my goodness. Is <laughs> a Dr. prone? The policy states the superintendent will make the determination on whether the emotional support animal is allowed on school prom- premises or not, right? So I'm like, yeah, you know, so as as a superintendent, you need to know this and also like if that's in policy you need that revised. That shouldn't be you as a superintendent making that call. That should be the director of special education or the billing principal making that call, um, because they're closer to the situation than you are. But, um, but I, but I said, yeah, you know. And, and again, most of the times these things work out and, and stuff like that. So we we're kind of going through, um, you know, what it means to have an emotional support snake in your school. Um, but that was that was a great activity. It, it was just so timely and actually. We also talked about um, um, esports in Wisconsin, and I brought in my controller from my PlayStation, and I I brought it out as I started to present, and I pretended I was playing and stuff like that as I'm doing like the whole thing here about esports in Wisconsin. And, you know, there's a company in Milwaukee, you can go, you know, they'll customize controllers for students with disabilities. If the student has like tremors or something, they'll make an adaptive controller. And I'm I'm sitting there the whole time, and I'm I'm doing this, and I'm pretending like I'm playing, which it was just a really cool effect, right? And so I'm trying to do like cooler things, just as a person. I'm not trying to like like uh, be artificial or anything like that, but but you know I think it gets people's attention, right? Be, um, to to do these types of things, and I I'm really having fun this fall. Um, I, I've taken a kind of a, a nuanced, um, a renaissance approach to my teaching. And I think I've I've really, uh, I I think this is the best year of teaching I've had in 19 years. So I wanted to add one more thing. I'll go back to the chat. I had a um, a back and forth um, messaging with my friend Phil Henry in um, Germany, who was a guest on the show. He's going to be a guest on the show again. And and, uh, Phil Henry talking about what's happening in Germany. And he took a video of this for me. There's streetlights in order to save electricity in Germany their streetlights will be on for one minute and then they'll be off for one minute and then they will be on and then off. And it's, t- it's completely all the streetlights are toggle that way. So he sent me a video and he said, you know, again, to save power. But the other thing is, so you said, these are, these are older streetlights that operate off of a ballast. So it's like old fluorescent lights. Like I have led lights down here in the studio, but If you have a ballast light and you're turning it on and off every 60 seconds, you're going to fry that ballast. Like it's just not going to last as long. So this whole thing of saving energy is just really weird, right? Because you're just destroying those ballasts and all of these lights by doing that, you know, 60, um, you know, what, 30 times an an hour to toggle these things on and off. Um, So, but but he had the video. He said, watch this doc. He said, um, this is, and, and this is what, what's being told. We're going to, I don't know if you're driving, like how that all works, like 60 seconds, the lights are on, then 60 seconds, the lights are off. It's just, it's weird. It's weird. But again, you know, uh, Phil is a great face validity guy. So he's like, here's the actual video. This is this is what they're doing. So, um, so yeah, so good stuff. Um, let me go over to the chat and then we'll get into... School swatting, skyrocketing in America. Let's go over here to uh, to the chat. Um, Finesse is saying dropping to forty or less now here each morning. So yeah, we will be we'll be at thirty two I think in in uh, a Friday morning, and then we'll be back in the forties in the morning, and then like sixties all of next week. So um, it's been seventy here today. I'll be seventy tomorrow, seventy the day after. So, like for concrete, I'm in good shape because I'm never going to hit a point here in the next, you know, five eight days that'll be below freezing, which would be bad. Could be bad for concrete. Um, the slower concrete cures, the slower concrete cures, the uh, the stronger it is, right? So that's why in Hoover Dam they ran through the, the the water, the ice cold water, you know, piping and stuff like that to cool it down. But uh, but yeah, to pour concrete here in October is actually a good thing. Um, because uh, you're going to end up with stronger uh, stronger concrete. So, um, by the way, this this mic will be replaced with a Shure MK7. The headphones will be replaced. Um, and I have a new camera that will be coming in at the end of the month, um, a Logitech. Uh, and so there are a number of uh, – most of the technology here is going to be updated in studio by the, by the end of the month. Um, and – i so, yeah, that's that's cool, that's cool. Um, sh- so let's see here. A and Z. Z, if you haven't subscribed, please do so. Hi, Doc and all. Hey, buddy. There's a David D. Proden and your middle initials. P, there's an evil. Da- yeah, I knew. So this guy is really good. So when I sent him an email, I sent him an email. And we've been emailing kind of back and forth just a little bit of like, hey, I think this was intended for you. And no, it wasn't intended for you. And uh, he is just this crazy academic as far as like he's, he's, his Google scholar page is like, you know, here in 2022, I published like 18 articles, you know, so much respect. The guy is ultra professional and he's a fun presenter. And so like for me, as I told him, I said, you know, I benefit if anybody lands on the stuff that you do and they think it's me, I'm, I'm in much, (laughs) they're like, Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, it was it was something he did with a published paper, and then the the, the you know publisher or whatever was getting back to him, and, and I was like, oh, this isn't a, this is a, isn't for me. This is for you, buddy. But he lives in Thailand. He speaks English. I think he's from Great Britain. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is pretty cool, and the fact that we both are—he's getting his PhD in applied linguistics. And I think he said in 2023, he'll have his Ph.D. And I have a Ph.D. in speech-language pathology, specializing in psycholinguistics and semantics. So like a very similar area. But uh, I told him, I said, you have a standing invite to be on the show. Just let me know. Um, so um, at Traveling Foods, you and me both, we have Traveling Foods in here. So I'm not sure what this says yo yo hey, it's traveling foods well subscribe to the channel i appreciate you traveling foods again we're going to have the sure mk7 mike in here very soon um so your community post about this Yeah, hey, well thank you thank you bacon 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 there he is posting the link traveling foods um doc isn't far from me his watch channel so then yeah, i appreciate that i think we're heading we've done the monday shows we've done the monday posts um Done a couple of YouTube uh shorts, which have you know done pretty well. You know, I think a couple of five thousand, five thousand views. So I plan to record the cement pour. So maybe there'll be something in there. Hopefully, <laughs> it's hopefully uneventful um that I can bring into a YouTube short. Bacon's community page is a must for new channels. So cool, cool, cool. Uh doesn't matter. We're gonna call him evil doc. Well, you can. Thailand is crazy fun. Yeah, he's a professor over there in Thailand. So yeah, we we it is weird. And this isn't. I've known about this guy for a while, but we do have many similarities, right? You know, professor at a university and linguistics background, and you know, published and stuff. And then actually, he he shared with me. He said, "I've been using some quotes out of the Velocity of Information in my uh, in my classes." Um, in communications and linguistics. I've been using some quotes from your book. I'm like, well, thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. So, yeah. Um, so, today, you know, today's show is um, its not brought to you by Dismore's IGA. At least I don't think it is. But uh, let's get into um, today's show. So today's show is school swatting is skyrocketing in America. We're going to talk about what it is. Um, And what can be done to stop it? So the start of the 2022-23 school year has been marred by a flurry of swatting-type threats targeting schools across the nation. A swatting threat is when someone perhaps a 1,000 miles away contacts law enforcement makes a false report that an active shooter is on the school campus. In Minnesota, police responded to swatting reports at 14 different school districts on September 21st, right? It's two weeks ago. In this episode, we'll define swatting. What is it? Identify its origins. Examine the impacts on schools and communities, and measures being taken or considered to reduce swatting. By the way, when we moved here, when we moved here um, about twenty years ago, there was a SWAT incident uh, one block away from us, right down the road. Somebody had called in right from a thousand miles away. And I think it was video game related or whatever, but you know the whole block was shut down and police and barriers and I mean all this stuff, emergency responders. And that was like 20 years ago, and it turned out right. It was it was a SWAT uh, that was going on. So, um, so what is swatting? So per the Seattle Police Department, swatting is a crime. For those unfamiliar with the term, unfamiliar. Swatting is the act of creating a hoax 911 call, typically involving hostages, gunfire, or other acts of extreme violence with the goal of diverting emergency public safety resources to an unsuspecting uh, person's residence. So, um, right, probably the most common or one of the most known on the Internet is like Tim Pool, right? So people calling in and saying, oh, there's like, you know, a shooter event happening at this YouTuber's residence. And then, of course, police are responding to that. Um, So this is, that's what it is. Now, in schools, um, again, this has been um, just horrible to start off the school year. Nothing like this in previous school years. So actually, when I was thinking about my next school safety PBS presentation, the trilogy um, that will be in 2025, it's probably going to involve some level of swatting, uh, deepfake deep fake avatars and i'm not quite sure but it we're getting out of the age we're, we're we're moving beyond like the physical environment security and stuff like that into much more of the cyber security aspect of school safety we're we're it's just you know deep fake um, avatar realism deep fake um, um, potential, um, imposters, right. Um, having a video of a student or a staff member and saying, here's what they said, here's what they did when they authentically didn't say that. So we're moving into that era. So it'll be interesting because in 2013, you know, it was more of the history of kind of of school violence and it was very mechanical at that point in 2019, we started to get into the mental health side and PBS presentation and, and also the deep fake avatars. And really, in what 2025, I think is when the next the trilogy will be. That is largely going to be cyber safety in schools, uh, what's happening. So, anyway, um, as of April 2022, popular YouTuber Tim Pool has been swatted eight times during his live stream politically themed shows. So, what is the origin of swatting? So, by the way, I have my, my notes monitor to the left and my. Uh, you are in front of me and uh, so anyway over here's my notes monitor and then my kind of stream monitors over here on the right subscribe to the, subscribe to the channel if you haven't by the way dun, dun, dun. so um so what is the origin of swatting swatting has been around for decades but the implementation of the 911 emergency number advances in cellular phone and burner phones and online technology along with social media swatting is becoming more sophisticated and happening more frequently than any time in history so really, before social media, before cell phones, swatting was pretty rare because you'd likely have to use a landline or a payphone to call in, and and it was it was just unlikely people were going to do, to do that. It happened. So we're thinking like pre two thousand five ish, it happened, but not with any regular consistency. And it might happen to like one person, but it wasn't happening to like fifteen schools or something like that, all in the same day in the same state. So let's go back. In June 2009, a blind 19-year-old hacker named Matthew Wagman was sentenced to 11 years in federal prison after pleading guilty to charges of computer intrusion and witness intimidation. The FBI first began investigating the teen after a 2005 swatting incident in which Wagman staged a hostage hoax, sending police to the home of a woman who had refused the teen hacker's request for phone sex. So, whoa. Whoa. Okay, so we go back kind of 2005 for one of these these kind of sentinel cases of swatting. In 2017, a fatal swatting incident occurred in Wichita, Kansas, when Shane Gaskell was shot and killed by police after exiting his swatted upon house. The motive was revenge swatting due to a disagreement in the online video game Call of Duty. So he's playing somebody in Call of Duty, whatever they have a disagreement, that person then calls in and, you know, Shane Gaskell and, and whatever has a weapon and stuff like that, or he's threatening police come in and Gaskell comes out on his porch. I think they told him to put his hands up and he put his hands down. Like, and I don't know the, all the details of it. Right. But, but then he was killed. He was shot and killed. Um, so the thing is uh, in most cases today, it's very difficult to find out who placed the swatting call because of burner phones. Right. Um, And so, so a lot of these cases, they never find out who placed the call. So the impact of swatting on schools this fall, we've had more swatting on schools than we've ever had. Again, people calling in saying there's an intruder at the school, they have a weapon, this is going on or whatever, they hang up and that person could be a thousand miles away. They're just, you know, I don't know, picking a school at random, whatever they're doing. Um, but again, they could be, they could be a student who's going to that school, but, um, Per uh, Kenneth S. Trump, president of National School Safety and Security um, Services, who I think is—I I quoted Ken in my book *School of Airs, Rethinking School Safety in America*. Ken, I think, is the the um, top expert in school safety, so it's a person I would I would recommend. Um. So, um. So yeah, so Ken is, Ken is saying school swatting has become much more common in the past five years. These incidents not only instill fear and panic throughout school communities, they are also very costly in first responder manpower time and taxpayer dollars. Sadly, they pull away from first responder manpower resources needed for credible emergencies elsewhere in communities. The trauma impact on students, staff, and parents of communities is also palpable and might have lasting effects. So it's increased the last five years in schools this year has been unlike anything we've seen before. So if you know of any schools that have been swatted in your area, like, you know, post down below in the comments. Um, Or if this ever happened to you, right, if you were in school. Um, So Andrew, 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 Andrew. Time to leave a review, Andrew, Andrew. That was meant for Andrew. Um, Ian deserves to get swatted. He ruined Tim's show. So, Andrew, that happened twice a year ago. I went to Inglewood High, Spacon. They just let everyone out from the football, to the football field. most also looked uh, forward to it early day out. I was, I was never in a school that was swatted. I was in a school that had a bond threat called and we all had to exit to the, uh, to the gymnasium and, um, I'm not sure what happened after that, but I, that was like middle school. So, um, nerds are ruining the world. Nerds, Adams college, nerds, nerds. So, um, Oprah Leventon. Also, a lot of people in foreign countries make the calls from hostile countries. Absolutely, right? This doesn't have to be from the U.S. The call can be outside of the U.S. So it can, I mean, it's kind of endless, right? You can find schools just by doing a search. If you are on social media, there was somebody, there was a student in a school district in Wisconsin who was, get this, posting online, hey, like I want to get out of school for the day. Um, I have Bitcoin, Bitcoin. And if you post the thread or whatever, I'll pay you whatever Bitcoin. So that that was that was a case here in Wisconsin. So, so you're absolutely right. Um, so, corn pop is saying corn pop's revenge. Still no power. Just been cleaning things up and helping people get off the island. Oh man, sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, that is awful. Um, I've done shows in the past with a uh, Kitty Pashan of Cajun Navy Relief. I think we, we did three shows total. I know Cajun Navy Relief. Um, is one of the resources uh, to to help out after uh, hurricanes and and especially hurricanes, right? Um, Tropical storms that are hitting um, the Southern U.S. So I, uh, personal rant on this thing, uh, you know, this this situation, I I always, I just think FEMA is structured incorrectly. I think FEMA should be um, a much stronger brokerage of of, um, resources so, example like FEMA would keep roads open and would say, "Here's warehouses where, Cajun Navy relief, Texan, you know, Navy relief, like come in here, will and stage your assets, right, your your boats and your crews to help out and things like that." And um, I just think it's it's a big missing piece. And I also think we should have a domestic um, emergency response team. I've felt this way for years, but especially after the um, well, well, again, last year the the tornadoes that swept through Kentucky and Tennessee, uh, the fire right before Christmas in Superior, Colorado, like we should have. Sorry if the mic is this mic will be replayed. The mic's kind of on its last leg here, but we should have a national um, FEMA response team, and it, it and I think it should be stayed. It, it should be just a, a branch of a, the military, you know, which is out of you know whatever. Uh, you know fort maybe you have two you know in in the u.s and the purpose is to uh, mobilize and to to be there for 14 or 15 days and then that's it they go back right or they do the next thing um, but they are coming in and this is where we're flying rich and i had this talk about you know if you had a 3d printer right and you're bringing stuff in like you could 3d print a ton of things including medical supplies catheters and uh parts for a geodesic dome and stuff like this, but, you know, we never, we, we don't do that, right? Like there's so much capacity to do that. And, but, but I think, um, I think there should be these two, these two kind of civilian military units that also provide this rapid civilian response, but then it does sunset, like after 15 days, they're not perpetually into this kind of like the Casper Weinberger doctrine of the 1980s, right? You don't, well, that's to foreign countries. Like, you don't put your military in foreign countries for months at a time for um, kind of humanitarian things. But, um, but anyway, I, I think there's a lot of merit to it. If I was ever appointed to the head of the FEMA organization, right? If I was head of FEMA, this is that's what I would do without a doubt. Um, and they would be uh, again in talking with KG Navy relief and Katie Pishon. i mean the number of times that fema had gotten in the way of of rescues um, so um, you know I, again i just i think it i think fema's incorrectly structured and it should be a brokerage of of um, these rescue services and uh, and also the um, uh, facilitating and, and, and obtaining areas to stage assets. I think that should be their, their role. So I, so I don't know, maybe I'll bring Katie back on and we'll talk about that sometime, but, uh, but yeah. So corn pop is saying, and, uh, so Floridians take care of each other. Yeah. So, right. That's a great thing. That is a, that is a great thing. Um, Traveling food's exactly corn pop. Uh, sawzall and a uh, pack axe is a must if you are sheltering in the attic. Yeah, no, you're right. Sawzall get you out of there if you have to get up on the get on top of your house. But I remember uh, it was uh, two years ago, two years ago when our area area got hit by like a tornado and re, uh, really uh, severe straight line winds. By the way, my neighbors removed their two you know 80, eighty plus year old oak trees. Which makes like if we had another storm, like one of those would have any of those fall, like they're gonna damage our house and, and probably their house. But uh but yeah, this, this makes a it makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah, saws all on pick uh, pockets. I went down and I helped our neighbors and I worked for like two days. And and a couple things I learned from that. One was have a good pair of, of work boots <laughs> because I had red wings, which are good quality, but they never fit really well. And as I worked for two days in those, like it just killed me. Like I, I put those shoes up for boots up for sale. And like no one even bought them yet I at mean, a room sale, like $160 boots and and, like ten dollars for them. Try them on. But um, but have a comfortable pair of boots is one, and then um have us have good saws, right? <laughs> and because that was probably the most saws and then also my wheelbarrow my wheelbarrow was like gold like nobody had a wheelbarrow in my neighborhood so you know you're taking you're cutting stuff up and then putting a wheelbarrow moving it into the the curb toward the end of curbs so people can pick it up and stuff like that but that was just amazing nobody had a wheelbarrow and i have like this industrial wheelbarrow right um so saws and a wheelbarrow and just you know be ready be ready to go um but um more states should have volunteer state guards. You're right. You're absolutely right, all Pro So um they should and so Cajun Navy relief. And we think of Cajun Navy, so that's one thing, right? Cajun Navy is is kind of a generalized term. Let's go over here. This is Cajun. Holy smokes, I got the I got both me in here. Cajun Navy relief is a formal um, nonprofit, right? And here you can get in, here's how to request a rescue, you know, and they use, so, but this is uh, New Orleans, this is where Katie Pichon is affiliate, right? So, but yeah, Cajun Navy Relief. So one of the things that was happening with Cajun Navy Relief during like hurricanes, Irma and Harvey, was FEMA wasn't helpful so, Cajun Navy Relief would say, you know, we've got the boats; we can come into these areas. And FEMA would say, well, you know, we're not we're not going to cooperate with you or whatever. And but FEMA didn't have the boats to supplement these areas, right? Um, and also, there was a big confusion with drones back five six years ago. Like um, commercial and hobby drones, people would come in with Cajun Navy Relief or just on their own and say, like, we can use these drones to help search and rescue or kind of grid out an area on this. And they'd be like, Nope, (laughs) no drones flying. Right. And that has changed somewhat and drones kind of work now in a mosaic pattern, but you know, it was just stupid, right? If you have the asset and you can use it, then just do it. It was just, it was just nuts. Um, and that's where I, I, and Katie, you know, is, is, has, you know, done a ton of work, um, not only getting, um, resources to people but then she comes back with cajun navy relief a month later or two like it helps people rip out their drywall and and replace and you know help rebuild their houses and stuff like that so if you haven't subscribed to the the channel please do so if you haven't given a thumbs up here we have 15 which is awesome but maybe we can get 20 be great i appreciate it very much so let me do this uh, little shameless plug right here. So this is the most honest book ever written about the three billion dollar school safety industry, which is really about five billion right now. It's out there in a hard copy, it's also in paperback ebook and audiobook that I narrated, um, which you can get for 1099 on downpour.com and many other sites, It's on Audible too. It's a little bit more on audible. Audible sets its own price for books, <laughs> even though I set the price at 1099 at Audible, you know. Um, and so you get to hear doc narrate narrate the book in six hours. Um, if you listen to me narrate, which is a pretty cool thing. So yeah, but um this book is 20 like 20 dollars, 20 or 22 dollars in paperback, and it's through a professional publisher, right? does under contract, so it's not it's a paperback that's not gonna fall apart when you open it. So it's really it's really good quality paperback, which actually I kind of like the paperback, but you can get a hard copy of this book for like $30. But paperback is $22, and the ebook is $10.99. And you have a really nice uh, companion document I put together for the ebook. So please check out School Bears. The other one is, hey, Velocity of Information. This is the book I released in uh, April of 2022 through my publisher. Even thinking during chaotic times, wow, like this book, um, you know, remember one day we all woke up to find ourselves essential or non-essential per our government. That's all in this book. There's many, you know, photos and diagrams and and how people react during um, – extended periods of chaos, you're thinking, well, maybe, you know, you've got all this under control. And and there's a lot of history in this book, too, like Roosevelt's fireside chats and the medium is the message. And um, and maybe you do like maybe you've got it under control, but maybe you see somebody in your family. Right. And they're like, oh, God, they're not handling this well. They're not handling inflation. And, you know, the instability in the economy and they're they're freaking out. There's a lot of stuff in this book that you're going to be able to apply to them to help stabilize them. So, um, right. There's a photo I took of the playground that was closed down during the pandemic, uh, next to our house. And so this is, this is an awesome, uh, awesome book. Nothing like it out there. Uh, this is if 471 endnotes. notes. I interviewed Clay Martin, you know, concrete jungle, um, in this book, um, just uh, there's 12 interviews total in this book. So it's, it reads, it's conversational. It's kind of like a fireside chatty type thing, but again, um, really well cited. And I think this, this is, it will help. It, now it will help. It will entertain you. You'll, you'll find things in here. Things will resonate, but it's also going to help you as you interface with people, maybe around you in your family or in your community that aren't as kind of stable as you are with what's happening right now. Right. Um, what to say to them, what to um, what activities they can do, how you can interface with them. You know, things like the member check, right? You get five people together from different parts of the country and you start to share information. You significantly increase um, w- your accuracy level of what you believe is happening. And you kind of, you know, turn off the, the TV and like, you know, use this. So it's a great book and... You know, just want to underscore that for you that that one is out there. That will be out in audiobook in April, April twelfth. It's again, it's done already. <laughs> it's kind of one of these quirky things per contract that audiobook has to come out on the twelfth. Um, so, so funny this came up. Uh, Doc interviewed a guy who wrote Concrete Jungle. I think Clay Martin, yes, and he also owns a company called Rooftop. So yeah, actually, it's two different things. So um, I did interview uh, Clay Martin. So Clay Martin has several books. He has he has a new book uh, that just released. Let me bring it up here so we don't do the... Uh, um, here we go. Dun, dun, dun. Let me do this. Okay, so Clay Martin was interviewed. He was also a guest on the show, but he, he's interviewed for the book Wrath of Wendigo, um, so it already has 92 reviews. Look at that. So, um, this is, you know, he has several books that he's published, including concrete jungles. So yes, this one released in September on September 20th. So, um, there we go. Clay Martin. So I interviewed Clay Martin, uh, you know, uh, former military and when you know, and Clay talked about uh, in the book of um, fatigue, right? In after being out sixty ninety days on patrol, like two examples he gave is one he went out and he forgot to put uh, bullets in his gun, and another time um, they they retrieved um, a mortar. Um, and as they were were checking it out, there was actually like a tear gas canister inside of it, and then it set his ghillie suit on fire. And I mean, just things like you, you wouldn't do, initially in deployment, but as you hit fa- as fatigue points set in, you start to make these mistakes. So, so that is Clay Martin right there, and the other one is uh, Robert Travis, who who Bacon is talking about. Robert Travis is the president of Rooftop Life Rafts. So Robert Travis was the crab boater uh, for two seasons on the you know Alaskan crab boat. And now he lives in Texas and he has a rooftop life raft, which they have rapid deploy life rafts for um, um, any areas, but especially urban areas. And he, they sell them around the world, right? Um, if you have flooding, so you can get out. And he also um, has a concrete business and has, has won awards for like very, intricate concrete, uh, finishes in buildings. But, uh, but yeah, so I think, I think the, all the interviews are great in the book. The Robert Travis interview was maybe the most emotional of, um, the velocity of information. Uh, so, but you also find the interview with Clay Martin in there too. And, and yeah, So Corn Pops Revenge is saying, we lent the Sheriff's Department two of our boats to help get people off the island. They have their own. But yeah, it's a thing, right, Corn Pops? So you're right on. Thank you for posting that. Um, This is where Cajun, you know, as you said, like civilian rescue forces, let's just say civilian rescue forces come in and they say, hey, like we have these things we can can offer to you. And um, will you accept these, right? And so if you're local, right, your your choice is yes or no. And if you say no, you're saying, oh, liability, if we approve them and somebody like, you know, gets tangled with a power line and they electrocute it, then we're responsible. And, and uh, but again, I firmly believe and this is where we get let down by our government at a federal and a state level. When these things happen, there should be a clear exemption for these 501. 50- 1-3-C or 3-C or whatever it is, but our nonprofit organizations like Cajun Navy Relief and people just under the Good Samaritan Clause and also the Law of Necessity, which is a defined law, right, of, of protecting people who are trying to help out uh, when local resources are overwhelmed, emergency resources. And we don't do a good job of that at all. Um, politically, we don't do a good job um, of that at all. So... That really, that is a big, big flaw in the way that FEMA operates. And again, I would point made ahead of FEMA. Right? I would, I would, I would change that. And um, I, and so we still have we still have Cajun Navy, Cajun Navy Relief, Texas Navy uh, coming in and 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 doing these things. Are just like you know we are going to provide the help regardless. And you know, um, but but it is to me it's shameful. The way that FEMA operates, we should have a national response. We should have two national response squads always ready to go. Again, they're rapid deployment for 15 days, and they come in with, like, you know, 3D, the latest 3D printer technology so they can. One of the things that people tend to need the most, right, in medical, in areas that have been impacted, like the Bahamas, is they need catheters, for one, that you could three D print, and you can say, "Well, we can fly these in," but you can't if you have damaged runways, and and if you have a pallet that goes on a plane, right? Um, and it's the you know you're, the plane's too big to land on the runway. You have to break the pallet down to get it into smaller parts, or if you have like an area where all the roads are damaged because of you know, like in in Florida, like so. If imagine like right, you had a three D printer and you could print some of these things on site, you could you could do that. But we don't spend money on time uh, and time on that stuff, and we we also don't legislatively protect that. We had this gap, we we had this window, I should say, during the pandemic, where you could print a face uh, a mask, right, and you could print ventilator parts and donate them to your hospital stuff. And even though those those were copyrighted, trademarked, patented, all of that by other companies, like those, that was okay during a certain window of like 90 days or something. I wrote about it in the velocity of information and we need more of that stuff going on. And we also just need government to get out of the way. Government tried to state governments, tried to make Cajun Navy relief register, go through trainings, pay a certain fee. Like, Oh, if you're going to be a part of Cajun Navy relief, you got to pay your, you know, $49.99 a year to like, you know, have your, your registry with the state and a membership card. That's garbage. So, that's where, again, I'm going to advocate as strongly as I can. And, um, I know Kate, you know, Kate, Navy relief, Katie Pichon and all that, but that's garbage, right? That is just, um, that's not the way things work. And this continues to be a broken record when it comes to our national response to domestic, um, uh, environmental emergencies, right? Um, which could be the fire that went through Superior, Colorado, the tornado went through, you know, Paducah area, you know, last year, Kansas, and and then also Kentucky, and then the hurricane, like, it's just garbage. It's absolute garbage, right? But yet we've got billions coming over to Ukraine and, and all this stuff, and we don't have a rapid, one, response domestic team. FEMA doesn't know what its role is. And the, the third is that, FEMA and local governments get in the way of the domestic uh, responders like Cajun Navy relief. Those are three big, three big flaws right there. I wouldn't fix all of these. <laughs> and that is one thing I am so glad I'm able to do when I teach aspiring superintendents and school leaders. You know, we go through the law of necessity and we also go through like know where the board is and they've got your back, but it's like, you know, make, be decisive in your decision-making and be brave. Like I'm not, giving anybody advice to get out there and make decisions which are going to cost you your job but you never know right um but i'm saying like you know we have the case study of a student gets it was lost which is authentic we have that in wisconsin a student got lost in a state park next to a, a lake like michigan actually and then um you know so but you have to you have to trespass into certain areas to do this search do you do that yeah, and some people are like, well, no, you know, we're trespassing. I'm like, well, it's a law necessity, says to you trespass because the bigger issue here is, you know, finding the kid. Right. And, but people get hung up on that and their attorneys like, you know, are like, well, you know, if you do this, if you approve this and they're, you know, they, they tear their ACL, you know, they could sue you because you made the decision. I'm like, oh, whatever it is. Right. You know, um, I, I, I said, you, you can think so many scenarios down the road. But, uh, but you all know, you know it's due, right? By the way, you have 19 thumbs up. Somebody needs to be the 20th. So. Please subscribe and smash that like button. Be the 20th thumbs up. Andrew, you're thinking of writing a review tonight. All right. Um, let's go over here. It's John Rice. Dun 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 John Rice. John Crump News. I've been on John Crump News a few times. I appreciate John Crump. He is a phenomenal investigative reporter. I got someone. For you to talk to. If you're saying to me, pass it on, buddy. Safety doc. Hey, it's John news So, I appreciate you very much. Heavy water. Hey, buddy. DeSantis reactivate. This is Andrew. Reactivated the Florida National Guard. National Guards are controlled by D.C., which isn't good for the states. <laughs> Probably not. 23 states have their own state guards, which they should. They, they absolutely should. Um, so... Let's go through here. Um, Riggs Jr. No trespassing on my no-no square. Is that coming from uh, Terrence Pop? So Ukraine money is for money laundering. I am. So, John, it is baffling right now, right? It is It is. Baffling if we take a, a step away and we think, well, you know, in the last week, right, or 10 days, we've had billions, billions of dollars approved for Ukraine. And yet the devastation that has happened in California, or not California, excuse me, Florida and the southern U.S., um, you know, from and also Hurricane Florian to Maine, um, nothing, nothing. Um, and that's this that's disgraceful. And people can say, well, you know, people built in an area where they knew a you know a hurricane could hit. Well, yeah, I get that, right? And but in the in the moment, we need to help these people. They're they're Americans. Um, we need to, to do we need to level up, right? See so, so this whole thing, oh, we passed another 16 billion dollars today for you. Wait, what are you doing for Florida? How about Maine? Um, it's an inexcusable. It is inexcusable. And again, if you, if you can't help them get out of the way and, and facilitate legislation saying, you know, for the next, whatever, 90 days, we're going to lift IP rights and, um, on 3d printing and we're going to do whatever. And I mean, it is shameful. It is completely shameful. Um, uh, you know forensically, if you want to duke it out right over saying, "Hey, like you know these places shouldn't have been built here in the then duke it out over, you know, six months from now, but right now people need help and get out there and you help them. And if if to mobilize whatever you have to do, do it, I am so sick of this um, this I don't even know if it's partisan, right? I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even go that far of, of because FEMA's always been wobbly. I don't know how that gets changed. if it's ahead of FEMA or if it's a it's more of a national posturing on this or, or what it is or, or power to the states or whatever it is. but but it is absolutely horrific the under response that we have as a country when we have uh, disasters that strike the country. Again, just going back to Wildfires Superior, Colorado last December. Tornado, Kentucky tennessee last december now um september hurricane florian main october um hurricane what is it ian florida and uh and southern u.s so it's a it's horrendous it's horrendous um aside from national guard this is corn pops revenge local law enforcement um and civilians have been doing most of the work here. KG Navy relief has been in here. So yeah, KG Navy Relief is, is phenomenal. Um, but you're right. Um, local law enforcement and civilians have been doing the the, the the work there. So by the way, we're still at 20 or 19 thumbs up. Um it's good. I mean, so people will pull together, right? But I don't think it's I think there's two things going on here. One is it's not that there's Outside agent, no one, no one's just tuning this out saying, oh, whatever, you know, it's it's um, it is uh, Florida and whatever, you know, Um, I think the fact is that these outside civilian rescue forces aren't being embraced and not only being embraced they are probably being suppressed. So I think that's that's a big part of this. Um, it has, it was in Irma and Harvey, and I just think it's a big, it's a big part of this. So, um, so I don't know, I, mutual aid, whatever it is, it's, it's, but why do we not have a national, um, a, a, either military or a CCC equivalent type right that is ready to go and they perpetually train and they can deploy anywhere and be there for two weeks? right domestically and they come in and very strategically you know they they have um what they are to do and they also are equipped with like the most advanced 3d printers to come in and to print emergency supplies and you know what what whether it be water filtration equipment whatever it be but the fact we don't have that which could be there in you know Right, you can mobilize these people and have them there within a day. How do? How the hell do we not have that? How do we not have that? I mean, we think about the the Cold War, right? You always had uh, off an air force base, ba- you know, base in the different bases, like you know, the the pilots ready to go at any moment and get into bombers and stuff like that and, and scramble. How do we not have a emergency, a domestic emergency response? Uh, at a federal level, or even I guess you could do it at a state level. If the federal got their you know, got out of the way, but I would say a federal level, you know, at least two areas in the U.S. If not, you know, that you had three or four, and maybe these, maybe it's a cross of a civilian conservation corps slash whatever. And these they deploy, and they deploy again for 15 days, and then they come back. You know, they're they're meant to come in and and to do massive stabilization, and then you know come in and get out. How do we not do that? I have friends in Kentucky and Tennessee who have told me that after the tornado that came through in December, they said, Dave, this is exactly what happened. We had a little bit of an appearance, a little bit of an appearance of, um, of federal government coming in, right. (laughs) And bringing in a bulldozer to clear off the roads because debris had been on the roads from the, you know, the tornadoes and, and then we had, and then we had, get this, um, they brought in dumpsters and, you know, and, and periodically they would empty out the, and you'd have to bring your own stuff into the dumpsters. They have no security at night. So like, you know, the whole area was just people coming in and picking whatever they wanted up from these, these areas that have been strewn all over with, with stuff from the tornadoes. Um, and that was it. And then they left. And today... These areas are little changed from when the tornadoes came through. I have friends that live down there. sent me pictures, like within the last week or two. And they're like, "Yeah, here's a, you know, they just abandon We feel abandoned, and I'm like, I would feel abandoned too. I would be really. I'm getting some hot mic here, but again, we're going to fix that. Mike will be fixed, but I would be pissed. I would be pissed. I mean, it's it's one thing to pay taxes, right? Which seems like that would be you know. But it is, and politicians, right? They, you know, national level, they'll come down and make an appearance and then they're gone. But damn it, like, this is where we need to be better and help people. And it is organically, as, as you, as you pointed out, um, you know, Corn Pop, organically, the people are there help who are in the neighborhood, right? Engaged neighborly relief is coming in. But um, it, it absolutely is just mind boggling to me. And it was even back during the pandemic, right, where the USS Comfort and Mercy were deployed, you know, but to California, I don't know where the second one went to Los Angeles or whatever, but um and they were there for a month and then they left. And it's like what the hell? And you know, why are these ships deployed then to, you know, outside of Fort Myers? Why isn't it, why isn't the USS Comfort or or Mer- whatever one, right? Why why aren't they deployed to be outside of Fort Myers? Um, Or I, I just, I don't get it. I absolutely don't get it. Um, But yet again, we can, and we will, right, as a country, as the politicians, you know, they'll announce, oh, by the way, next week, like, you know, there's another 19.4 billion and it's cumulative and uh, it's recurring. So it adds on to the the previous, you know, month and whatever. Uh, It's going over to the, you know, Ukraine and European nations. What the hell? So, I'm really I, I I really get fired up about that. And one of the things, like when I when I you know go in my classes that uh, you know kind of these organizations and that are you know school districts pay thousands of dollars to be a part of these organizations, right? And then things happen like swatting. And so one of the one of my my aspiring superintendents said, you know what? Or, or said, here's here's a document from our, you know, one of our state organizations and it's to send out to parents to make them aware of swatting. And that's just kind of happening. And so I looked at it and I was like, okay, like this looks, this is good. And I guess it's somewhat helpful, but you're paying thousands of dollars into this organization for something that any of your districts could come up with and just share. Like don't over, don't clap too loudly and for too long that they put together something that you know, any of your districts could have done. It makes it look like like they're doing more than what they're doing. Like, what can they do to to prevent? It? I don't know. We'll get in. There's not much you can do to prevent this. But but I said this this is a pretty minimum, right? Like I could put together a letter like this in 15 minutes. Like any of your districts could. You could just share this out. So there's you know this you're you're kind of mistaking, thing. and it, and then I just said, you know, we're also at a point here in Wisconsin. We have this fall, we have 1.9 billion dollars in school safety ref, referendums or, or schools referendums coming up for buildings and for um, operating schools stuff like that. 1.9 billion. I said that same organization. What what have they put out there for an ad about schools and also the fact that if you build a school building right. Typically a school building is a really good investment because it lasts 30 to 50 years and the community gets a lot of use out of it. And, and uh, you know, so there, there's a lot of value. Where's that commercial coming from? None of these organizations are doing that for you, that you're paying all these thousands of dollars in they're giving you basically a one page PDF that they probably had their attorney on retainer right for them in a half hour. So like, but, but again, I think it comes back to this. Like what the hell does FEMA do, and domestically, and you know it's not like this. It's not like this hurricane, right? Either Hurricane Florian or Ian. You know, it's not like this. It's not a tornado. It didn't it didn't just develop? You've got time. You anticipate this. You know this is going to happen, and yet you know, like every damn handoff, you get you fumble, and not only that. Then you're throwing a flag on everybody else who tries to pick up the fumble and advance the ball. I am really thin on this garbage. So. Um, Corn pop saying, yeah, locals are definitely the largest force helping people. Locals with chainsaws, boats, airboats, heavy equipment, like skidsters, construction equipment, etc. many Floridians. With a said type of equipment, yeah, yeah, which is awesome. Um, and then the question is, what is what is the barrier to other people bringing in that type of equipment to support, or even just the the people to come in and to interface and support? So, um, Don Lemon, yeah, Don Lemon is is a joke. <laughs> he's horrible. Um, so he's not good. So what can you do if you get swatted, right? If you're a, if you're a school district or, you know, um, well, a few things. One is, so if you are somebody who has been repeatedly swatted, now if you're an entity, a YouTube influencer, right? Like Corn Pops Revenge or John Rice, um, you you can register with your local police department, law enforcement, and, and sometimes these registers exist so they'll if if the call comes in they'll say oh this this is a youtube a youtuber or some type of influencer or whatever so they've been swatted before but it doesn't change things a lot um, they'll let office they'll let responding officers know so i did the research on this right and then um, they will they'll at least have s- some idea coming into this that this person is this might not be authentic but you still have to respond as if it is but then you know like i think tim pool has security now that interfaces with people like as they come up to his his place and stuff like that like they they have some faster way to to check his residence or where he, whatever to confirm that this stuff isn't going on so there's this registry which can help but you can't put a school on a registry so like that wouldn't work um But the other part is state legislators proposing bills. We know that there's 450 school safety bills a year that are proposed and about 20% of those get approved. But state representative Kevin Miller from Ohio, um, he's the author of House Bill 462, which would make swatting a felony. He says right now there is nothing on the books that specifically addresses swatting under the bill if someone is convicted, the person could face prison time as well as fines and restitution. Um, in Colorado, so we talked about Ohio, but in Colorado, a 2018 law penalizes hoax 911 calls. If you make a swatting call, the penalties are similar to third degree assaults said state Sen- Senator Jeff Bridges, the sponsor of the 2018 measure. And the thing is, if someone is hurt in the process, that increases to a class four felony. If someone is killed, it increases to a felony in the third degree. Okay. Like I get it. Like you can pass the legislation um now if somebody's a minor and they're doing this it's not going to significantly impact probably what happens to them because when they turn 18 it's going to be you know they're expunged right they'll they'll be treated as a minor if they're a minor um I don't so like I I understand where the legislators are trying to go with this they're trying to legislate their way out of this it's kind of like the safer schools thing you know years ago and the gun-free schools Act and stuff like that. So, you're putting signs in front of schools this is a gun-free area, right? What that was really designed to do was to add additional legal ways to, um, if, if someone had an act of school violence that was gun-related, that you could act. You, you, you could tack more things on, right? Um, but this this really isn't going to change things people doing this aren't afraid of the consequences. And and even so, like by doing this legislation and stuff, um, it's coming back. What would really impact this is to, and this is tricky, right? Is to fund your cybersecurity team to be able to track these people. Because a lot of times now, they don't even find out who these people are. Um, So your whole thing comes into cybersecurity and being able to track people. But if you publicly make that known, the people doing this will be like, fine, take me on, try it, like I'm going to do this and see if you can find me, right? So, so publicly, you're not going to say that, but behind the scenes, that's really what you need to do. And 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 again, money going into cybersecurity, cyber defense here domestically, which we're not doing to the level that we could be doing um, when we siphon money off into foreign wars. But uh, but yeah, so so where does this leave schools? It doesn't, schools are pretty, are completely vulnerable to this. There really is no defense to this as a school. Um, you're waiting. I mean, you can, you can inform parents, right? That this is a trend that's happening now, which I think you should, but it's not going to change the fact that this is happening. Um, some of this is trendy, right? Like, you know, bomb threats were trendy for a while. Um Unfortunately, you know that th- this will be trendy for a while, and then it it might not be trendy. But there is very little a school can do to defend with uh, from this, right? Um, so that's where. And again, these, these whole you know the whole thing of legislation, House Bill four sixty two, it makes Wyoming fall. People don't care if you're doing this. And especially if you're a minor, doesn't matter, right? If it's a felony or whatever, or restitution, you would be like, I don't care. They don't care now. And, you know, if you're an adult or if you're someone overseas or whatever doing this, this, whatever you do for legislation isn't going to make a lick of difference. Um, and the fact is we don't have the cyber, um, uh, we're not cyber adept to identify most of these people anyway right now. So it's a really precarious situation for schools to be in. So you got to call out the elephant in the room, right? We don't know how to combat this. Um, again, I've always said school safety—we don't do enough in the threat reporting side. Or if, like, you have any idea that someone might be planning to do a a SWAT type thing, you know, that you're letting people know. Um, but again, if this is happening from people a thousand miles away or in a different country, it's this is really a tough situation for districts. to Get out in front of it. Let parents and you know police and, and get this communicated out but you know then there's some hesitation on that well if we do that do we you know put ourselves out there um and give people ideas right so it's a, it's a tough call that's where your organizations really need to lead that's where i think in whether it's some tv ads or newspaper things like your state organizations can get in here right or your department of justice and I don't have it all kind of worked out yet of, of what my approach would be you know, with this to try to mitigate this and, and to work with schools. But this would definitely be part of the the trilogy pre- presentation 2025 when I'm on PBS. This will be it. This will be in it because um, this is one of those things you really fear as a district, right? Because there's very, what can you do? And the other part is just cyber a ransomware right now in school districts. Los Angeles got hit. Schools in my state got hit. Um, and what happens? I don't even do it as a case study with superintendents. Get this. I don't do it as a case study with my superintendents because, so, so the question would be, um, you know, you're know, you notified that your student database has been compromised by a ransomware you know, attacker, and, and they have it, and they're saying, we need five or $5 million in Bitcoin. We'll release, and we'll give it all, we'll, we'll unlock it, right? Um, most districts, like what they do immediately, is they call the police, and the police will say call your insurance company, and and most and most in uh, insurance companies and board, so the board of education will have to make a decision, and they'll probably have 24 hours to do so. Um, do you pay the ransom, and hope that whoever is doing this plays by the their rules, right, of giving you the information back, even though they'll keep a copy of it, right? Um, And letting you continue your systems or do you push it and suddenly they're releasing student records and faculty records and if it's a student with a disability right now, those are IDEA records, HIPAA, FERPA, all these violations. But um, I can tell you the Board of Education more than 90% of the time will say we'll pay the ransom um, because they know if these records get out there, they'll be sued because someone will say, you had a chance to prevent this, even though it's like, you know, honesty among thieves, right? You know, you're, you're working with someone who sold records. Um, and they'll just be like, we'll pay it. And so this is the question I have, and I need to clarify this with um, a few school um, insurance companies. And I don't know if they'll give me this information or not. But so, like, if this happens, does the insurance company agree we'll pay up to, like, $2 million of a ransomware fee? and the rest is onto you board. And then after that, it's like, you know, or, or do schools like now pay an additional fee for, for coverage? I don't have this answer yet and I'll, I'll get it, but it's pretty scary out there because um, again, I don't use this with my superintendents because the board makes the decision and almost all the time, you know, they're going to say, we'll pay the ransomware because they don't want to deal with the, the fallout if, this information gets released. So, so there's no real, uh, I don't know. There, there's no input it, and no one will lose their job. Like they'll ne- they won't go back to their tech person and say, well, our, our system wasn't secure enough or whatever. And it's not really a fault of a tech person necessarily in a school district, but, but you know, it's just the way that it is. And so these districts and these communities and stuff are being picked off for millions of dollars on a weekly basis from ransomware and their insurance companies uh, and their, you know, they'll, and their board of education, their, their, whatever, their managing board will usually just say, pay it. So yeah, I thought about that. I had it ready to go with my superintendents as a case study. Like how would you advise the board and all of that? And I was like, yeah, it's not really a soups job. Like this would be moving so fast. Uh, the board is going to get input from their legal counsel, and, again, it's almost, it's, again, it, the board is just going to say yes. A board of education will say yes, because it's, in their mind, it's going to be easier to defend that position than, and hope that the ransomware, you know, person or persons or organization or whatever complies um, then to say that and not comply and suddenly have student staff records out on the internet. So it's pretty crazy. But then I go back to my aspiring soups and I said, what are your agencies telling you about this? And what guidance are they giving you? And nothing, right? They're getting nothing on this. And I said, well, you know, this, this should be like not only a keynote, but a keynote in three breakouts at your next conference on ransomware, because it's happening across the nation and across the state and it's not there right they you know oh it's a case-by-case basis dave and whatever i'm like well it's garbage like so how do you try to get in front of this like what are some practices bring in you know chris voss or you know somebody from the fbi to to present and you know say here are things that you can do to best protect your systems right and um or bring in, you know, tech experts to, to present and, or send your tech people or the state should have like a special tech team where your tech people will go and say, here's how to, you know, keep a, a duplicate of what your operating system is. And I don't know, I'm not a tech person. Right. But like people do this, like they know this. I have friends who are like high level corporate, you know, tech security executives but we don't see that again at the conferences and we don't see that. And we don't see money coming out to school districts or communities for cybersecurity. What we see, right, is here's another 19 billion to a foreign country. So let's go over here to, uh, to the chat. Um, Heavy water saying rumble turned out to suck. Oh, it's not good. I'm not on Rumble. Don't know. Um, brand new YouTube turned out to suck. I don't know if I'm running a hot mic here. It kind of sounds hot in the headphones, but the headphones are kind of going to hell too. So I don't really know. I don't have a good gauge until I kind of get the new. I can tell you, like, the new Sure microphone is going to be awesome. Well, I think it is. Um, Corn pop is saying odyssey telegram and, and cozy are my favorites. They don't censor have live streaming capabilities to projects all the jazz. So cool. Telegram. I got to check some of these out. Super based content on there. Good. Do not pay the ransom. John Rice. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, most will pay the ransom. So <laughs> most, whether it's, whether it's, uh, School, well, it's the school district, right? I guess we'll keep it in my wheelhouse. I'll pay the ransom. I'll pay the ransom. Because it comes down to the Board of Education and uh, consult with their legal team and also their insurance carrier, and they will pay the ransom. Superintendent really has minimal say in that. So, um, Corn Pop, I do still obviously watch some people on YouTube, but I can't stand the grifting so many people seem to do on YouTube, always trying to sell you something instead of being real. Yeah, I'm not trying to sell you anything except School of Airs, the really, School Safety in America, the most honest book ever written about the $3 billion school safety industry. I'll tell you it's worth it. The audiobook, 1099, narrated by me, and also trying to sell you the philosophy of information. This book is a little more. The publisher prices it, not me. The audiobook will be out in April, narrated by Ben Hawk. Um, that is excellent. It's well worth your money. Um so here we have Bolo. Bolo is saying, doesn't large money transfer trigger red flags? Isn't the ransom target account linked to a person? I don't know. Whoa, we just lost our just lost our dot cam. Um Bring over Doc, Doc Cam here and put it on the charger. Uh, I don't know, man. Jeez, it's the second here. The hell is going on here. All right, don't go anywhere. I got to i gotta plug this thing in here so uh do not go anywhere
0: how were the beans and chili that you had for breakfast they were delicious thank you for asking but now i am very gassy i'm sorry to hear that out. Pew, that stinks very bad. I have to open the window. Oh no, my cap flew off and it was sucked into the engine. Holy smokes, the engine just cut out. We should use the decide model to help us make the right decision. Mayday, mayday. I am declaring a beans and chili emergency, please advise for landing.
2: Oh, that wasn't good. So I had, a, I had a lot of fun putting that together, by the way. Um, I'm looking forward to a new mic. Although it's going to hang down, de- I got to kind of figure that out a little bit how this will work. But um, going with a Sure MV7 mic. Uh, so and I'll have a whole control panel. That's where I have the three monitors. I'm still contemplating putting the fourth monitor up in the fourth monitor. I'd be able to show the control panel for this and, you know, headphones and all that other stuff and, and grab, um, you know, audit overlays. So, you know, stuff like this, right? Like thumbs up, um, stuff like this, I could have up on a different panel, which I think would be pretty cool. So I've got the ports on it, on the PC here. I just haven't bought the stand and the, the monitor, like I can get a nice monitor from the guy downtown, the computer guy. Like I used one to just put up there. Uh, so I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Um, so let's go back to the to the chat. So summary on swatting. Swatting is when you call in a, a false nine one one call, and it's usually regarding an intruder or you know uh, some event where someone is is going to be uh, hurt. And then um, police respond and it's false, right? So they put all these resources together and in a school. It's very traumatic for staff to, to go through and students. In Minnesota on September 21st, it happened 15 times. In most cases now, they don't ever find these people. Um, what can you do to defend against it? Not a lot. You can be on a registry if you're a person, like a YouTube YouTuber or a celebrity or something like that. And then um, if you're frequently spotted, the, the dispatcher might have that come up and, and there might be some interface then with your security force, uh, right? How many of us have security, right? But um, but if you're like a school, right? There's, that's not going to, it, I mean, you could be swatted 10 times in a month and it's not going to put you on a registry or anything like that. You'll have the same response the 11th time. It's really fatiguing to these safety systems and to people to do this. What's the best way to respond to this, like legislators jump in and say, well, we'll make the consequences more severe. Well, you know, the reality is the consequences aren't, uh, people aren't considering that at all, right? You're not, it's not working. Um, and by by focusing your efforts there, it's a waste of time. Um, you would be better off to beef up your cybersecurity um, on this, right, to try to identify the people who are actually uh, doing this. Um, and, and, you know, let's, let's, and also your threat reporting systems If people's it's probable, probable that people say they're going to do these things before they do them. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a mess. This is one of those loopholes in the system, right? It's kind of like if we go back to what was it, the dark night, um, when they, they would call in all the, the police, the threats and stuff, and and divert the police to one side of the city while they were committing a bank robbery on the other side. But this is really hard to, to combat and respond to. So we went over it in class. Um, uh, so, yeah, let's see here. Bacon is saying to sell, dude. This surprises no one <laughs> that's known you for more than five minutes. Uh Salto is saying that clip was funny as hell. So I don't do a lot of clips like that, but I, I wanted to do that before our the show with Graham. So this is why we can't have nice things. Bolo's right on with that. He is he's spot on with that. We you know, for for schools, right? And and just for What I mean, right now, these swatting events are happening during the school hours, but what if it's during a football game when two or three thousand people are in the stands or a basketball game? Um, These are going to significantly change how schools operate. And so, like, you know, if you had the same threat that came into an NFL stadium, for example, that had 75,000 people in it, um, they wouldn't evacuate the stadium typically. You know, I had ISS 24-7 on the sh- safety dock, like third episode or something like that. But, um, you know, there would be measures when the, where they would check on this, but it wouldn't be it, it logically um, wouldn't be practical to try to evacuate people from a structure like that. But how do we how do we go forward with this um, with this happening? Right. Um, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. And again, when my superintendents, you know, my aspiring superintendents or new superintendents said, well, you know, one of our state organizations came out with this letter. I'm like, that's good. Right. But that's a first step. That's something. But also like, um, you know, what, what are they doing to advocate with your police forces or with your state's. Um, cybersecurity, or I, I mean, all these levels to try to find out who this person is. Um, I'm like, you know, you're 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 being provided. There should be if there was a a a clearinghouse in your state, right? And one district put together a letter and had that letter out there um, in this clearinghouse. I was saying, you know, the that we have, the, the swatting has been happening around the country. And, you know, if this happens in our school, there'll be a typical response as if it was authentic because we wouldn't know, right? Um, like that's part of a clearinghouse. And that document should be a clearinghouse document. I don't know if it's out there as a clearinghouse document or just to the members. If it's not a clearinghouse document. It should be. It's like when certain things are put behind a paywall and you're like, but that should be public, right? That should be available to everyone. I don't know the answer to that. I'll check into it. Um, but I'm kind of like, I don't know. I I have to I have to remind people like don't you're 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 honestly like for your organization to do this this is good but this is not cracking the atom right here that what they're doing right like I could have done this in 15 minutes and got this letter out to you like it's they have so much you know contracted with their attorneys and to put the letter together and and their stuff i mean so you know right this is good but it's also fairly ubiquitous, right? And and obvious. Um, Where's the next level of this that you're seeing from your professional organizations? Um, You know, such as what is trauma-informed care for your district if they go through this? Um, What is the interface between your professional organization and any uh, digital cyber identification, you know, processes going on on the state or federal level to try to find people uh, who are doing this, right? What does that look like? So those are really the questions you have to ask because, again, I think I think activity can be, um, how should I say, like, somebody puts something like this out there as an organization, again, which is is a good thing, but it, it gets a big round of applause and it doesn't deserve a big round of applause. Like, it's what you should do as an organization, right? Right. You're getting paid thousands of dollars from each of these districts. In aggregate, I mean, the amount of money coming in is is just unbelievable. And the fact is any of these districts could most likely have put together a very similar document. And this is where we talk about there should be a clearinghouse for not only school safety, but kind of school best practices, documents and stuff. Um, REMSED.gov has that for school safety stuff, their toolbox. We don't have that in the state of Wisconsin. I don't know if many states have that federal government really doesn't have that outside of REMS. But REMS would, if you asked REMS to come up with a letter like this, they would have it out there in 24 hours. So I don't know. I get a little prickly when there's a lot of um, applause for just doing your job, right? Uh, so. John Rice is saying, what does all this say about the police's character and general demeanor? I'd have to go back on this one. I don't know. Um, John Rice. the perception which is correct that police are dumb and dangerous to society. John. You know, and I, I don't, I really believe that there are very, sophisticated cybersecurity networks and things like that that go on that just don't meet the public eye. Um, but sometimes those need to be made very overt and we don't do that. Right? Like we really, we don't know the extent of the resource, the, the assets that are out there to protect us and working. Now I guess that's subjective, right? <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go too far down that road because I. I don't know. But uh, you know, it's it's like if someone came forward and say, yeah, but look at this organization. You know, we we prevent it twenty five things from happening last month. Well, okay, like well, <laughs> then we should know about some of those. Well, if we if you knew about them, then people would be upset or something. Well, I don't know. It's kind of a different mentality. But um, heavy water is saying the people are going to be like neighborhood care and spy network of some sort. They collect evidence. Yeah. You know, um, heavy water, you're right on that happened a lot during COVID. Right. Um, and let me go and just show this 45 second video I put up in March and then we'll come back to it. Um, so if I can find it, let me, so right here, 45 seconds, I'll come back. So you talked about like kind of, um, this, this thing of having like neighbors report on neighbors and stuff like that. So let's watch this and we'll come back. Hi, everybody. This is the safety doc with a face validity check-in here on March 31st, 2020. Bellevue, Washington has started a tool to report stay home violations. This is from the government website in Bellevue, Washington. So we're going to scroll down here to my Bellevue portal and then to report gatherings. They've made it convenient. there's a map on the right, you can drag a location over here into address, write a description, and then also include photos. This is a practice we've seen in some areas of the country, but it's gonna be more prevalent. Look for it in your area probably in the next week or two. So Bellevue, Washington, that happened in Dane County next to me. It happened across the country. Within about two weeks, a lot of these got taken down. For a couple of reasons, one um, was it was a, a horrible way to allocate your resources during a pandemic, right? You you know have people staying at home and 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 uh, you're splitting up your forces, right? Because you don't want people to have close contact. And here you're trying to to um, <laughs> to do that. It was just crazy. So, and the second was you had people coming in from outside of the area into Bellevue, Washington, and they're like, okay, we'll watch for this. So suddenly you have outsiders coming in and trying to report people. Yeah, and, and it was, but, you know, part of that too that was really strange is that was up really fast. So, you know, who made the decision to contact their tech people and their tech people had to put this together and you had to integrate a Google map and you could input pictures. I mean, there's a lot of work that went into that and it was ready to go within what, like a week. So very bizarre, but I think that you're you're right on with saying you know do we this situation? I think it could happen in Florida, right? Like people come down to rescue, they're part of Cajun Navy relief or things, and suddenly like people are videotaping what people are doing and whatever, and do they believe they should be there or whatever? I don't know, but um, I, I I think what you're saying is 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 definitely is definitely happening. Um, this is Bolo, Bolo. Perfect Overwatch means bye-bye privacy. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Um, you know, it's, as I wrote in Velocity of Information, where I think it was the Detroit police, you know, tracked down some people just by pinging their cell phones. So, um, you know, their location and, yeah. Andrew's right. Bellevue, Washington. Yep. I am so glad I, I made that video and I have more extensive Video of the website and clips and stuff like that, but uh, because people don't believe that that happened, uh, that's that's one of the things with philosophy of information, right? People don't believe we're essential or non essential in one day, usually kind of March 20th of 2020, but people do not believe this stuff happened. And if you go in and try to search it now on Google, you'll never find it, it's all scrubbed. So I'm glad that I captured some of this, especially that Bellevue, Washington, because that was that was really um, representative of other places. Like if if you look at that video, like that's very similar to Dane County and other places, like Madison, Wisconsin, state capital of Wisconsin. And um, but again, people don't realize that it's in my book, and it's also that uh, that video is linked out <laughs> in the reference uh, section. In my book, so interesting. The solitude surfer. I Got to listen to it first. So, listen to it, buddy. Six hours. that You will love. I I loved narrating that book. Again, I was terrified to narrate. It was just kind of weird, right? Because I've present on PBS and I love presenting in class, but book narration. But my sound engineer did a great job. I had a, I had a lot of fun with uh, the book. Uh, a lot of energy in the book. You can kind of see the passion, you know, of of, uh, of the dot coming out in uh, the chapters of that book. It's a great listen, um, School of Airs. So um, Andrew is saying they're already denying the lockdowns were bad and are deleting proof of it. That's the thing, right? So when you, Andrew, you're right. Like the velocity of information with 471 endnotes. Um, you, you can't deny the Carl Mankey from Osawa, um, Michigan, you know, the barber had his place shut down. Right. And he was deemed non-essential and you, you know, you can't deny that the word preference changed overnight in the dictionary, um, during the Coney Barrett, um, Supreme court hearings, like that is in the book, um, with complete, you know, end notes. And I, I, again, it's um, it's amazing to me. And kind of, I don't know if it's surprising. It's not surprising anymore, but it still has a shock value to it. I will talk to people about the book or I'll present on, on the book and, you know, and people will say, I, I didn't remember. I, I forgot that I was deemed essential or non-essential, you know, or, or I forgot that they had a website where we could report social gatherings of people five or more, whatever we could put photos in. And I forgot this and I forgot this. I'm like, it's all here, right? Like it's in the book, 471 end notes. And, and this book, I think is becoming, um, even more of a historical asset. It's a practical book. It's entertaining. Like, again, you will love reading this. It's extremely well done. And so many graphics in your custom graphics that I had made um, by Amy Cade, di Stefano, um, you know, which which are just phenomenal, right? That kind of go. This one goes across four pages through the year twenty twenty um, to to go into techni- or terminology like crowd and behavior and and a finite voltage. This is so well done. I did all of these. Like I designed those, then Amy uh, created all of those. Um, she's a, a, graphics, uh, specialist. So, um, but yeah, so you'll be like, Oh, like here's some terminology and, and, and people will they'll look at that timeline and say, Oh, I didn't remember there was a coin shortage And which I saw there was again today. Like I went to a store, but like there's, <laughs> there's a picture in here where we had, we had a gas station that, uh, was buying your coins from you. So I think they give you a, I don't know if it was like. Buck twenty five for six. Co- there was some trade-off. Here was a picture, too. Like, you know, remember the, the places that had to rush, rush and put the mask, you know, signs up and stuff like that. So um, probably forgot about this. That is uh, Pittsburgh, um, Pennsylvania. Right there. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, Charles Mack. This is a map that you could get on your phone. That's a screenshot from Chuck's phone. And it was high COVID areas. You can see the area is a little darker. That was a higher COVID area. You could, you could go into that app, which was from the local newspaper. And you could basically get down block by block to see um, where COVID was. You could, you could pretty much get down house by house. So like, what were you supposed to do with that data? Right? Um, So were you supposed to avoid those areas? Roll up your windows. We can't deliver pizza because this is a high COVID block. If you're a realtor, you can't show this house or two years from now, you have to say, well, this is a house, but like two years ago, somebody had COVID who lived in this house. Like it was really weird, but again, it was, somebody felt that was important to put that information out there. So you could literally go block by block and you could go down minutely house to house and figure out who, who had COVID. Um, Public publicly available, right. As it was happening. What in the hell? Oh my God. Um, And again, because, you know, Chuck has a screen capture. I was able to put it in the book and I was able to write about in the book and people, again, don't believe that happened. Oh, that didn't happen anywhere. Right. Well, here, you know, let's look at this. And I've got the original, you know, whatever timestamp things from, from but they don't deny it. When they see it, when they see it in the book, they don't deny it. it it's kind of like a it, it brings them back to oh yeah, that did happen. One thing I didn't put in there is Chuck had essential papers to drive. Like he he took pictures of those and sent them to me. Like he didn't just scan them right and whatever Ford. He took pictures and sent them to me, and and uh, I was going to include those in the book, and I decided not to because I thought it could open up some liability to Chuck if if I did that. Like his employer could say like, well, this wasn't meant to be published or whatever. So I didn't. But that was another thing too, like, right, you know, people getting essential papers. Like I remember I had to do some banking and it was like, I don't know, April of 2020. And my bank is 55 miles away that I do most of my banking with. So I was, I contacted the bank and said, I'm coming up to do some banking And also I was like really leery of kind of the whole financial system at that time. Like I wanted some flexibility. So that was one of the reasons I was having to come up in person, do some things. And, and I said, can you send me, um, some type of document indicating I have this appointment with you and what we're doing? Because if I'm pulled over, like I have to go on an interstate, I want to be able to show this document. And they said, yes. So they sent me basically like a letter saying, you know, you have an appointment at this time to come up and, you know, whatever with your finance. So, and I thought, cause who knows what's going on back then, you know, um, your essential papers that if I'm pulled over for, you know, driving as a non-essential task, I can, I can bring out this print, you know, this, this thing and say, you know, here I'm, I'm coming up to do, you know, banking, and here's a, here's an email from my banker. So I have this appointment and I can you know prove that this is a essential activity, I guess. it's really weird, but the bank helped. I never, I wasn't pulled over, but it was, it was strange. Chuck got pulled over a few times. Chuck Mack and the other show was essential papers for being why it was being out. Um, that was crazy though. People and people, again, the, the thing that, that surprises me the most with philosophy of information, which is an awesome, it's now in, in, I think, Tokyo, Japan. So I've been track. I track everywhere, well, not everywhere, but I can I, I can find out where the book is usually through my publisher, like through an interface, um, like for public libraries and universities, stuff like that. And it's increasing every day, like new places, but this is this is an interesting, it's it's like in the United Arab Emirates, it's, it's in China, you know, it's in Germany. And people contact me about this book again. I present on this book, and I never expected my talking points to first include getting through people who said, Oh, like I forgot about that, right? I didn't I didn't remember being essential or non-essential. I didn't remember the papers thing. I didn't remember, you know, that um just countless things throughout this book. I didn't remember that, you know we didn't do fitness for the first like month. Like that would have made sense. Like, why weren't we doing fitness? We had celebrities on and how to sanitize your phone. And, and so I kind of get through that, like saying, you know, we all went through this, like it was two years ago, right? Like we all went through this together and I documented it, but I I don't think if I would have documented, it, even I would have, I don't think I would have remembered it as well as I, as I do. Right. But, um, but that seems to be the narrative with the book is it, it really is this Tommy Lee Jones type of thing, like in, in Men in Black, right? Of, of you know, people have their memories flash, gone. Let's do, let's do, uh, uh, let's. Well, I, I can't. I don't have my, I don't have my feature here anymore. Huh? Well, that's gone. I have my little ability to make my graphics on the screen, but, but people. I, I'm again. I'm really. I was surprised. I'm still surprised, but um, it's crazy. People don't remember really what happened in 2020. They don't remember being deemed essential or non-essential. So, so I've had to just change my my narrative and my dialogue. And um, I don't know. I don't know. It's all it's all good, you know. I, I guess as far as me as as an author and stuff like that, it's just I didn't. I, I thought I would be spending more time on when you're like right now, I still believe people are in crowding behavior and, and how to work with people who have hit finite voltage and there's a high suicide rate in people, right. Who hit finite voltage and, and, and how to uh, help mitigate that. And that's not where people are at. People are just trying when they get the book, it's like, it's this weird thing of make it, it help. I don't know if it helps them or it forces them to remember things that they blocked out. That's where I think the book will be really powerful down the road. It's good now, but I think it will be great two, three, four, five years from now. Um, C T designs is saying uh, getting pulled over and asked for your papers to be able to explain your reason for traveling is insane. Yeah, yeah, and I can tell you, C T Chuck Mack, who, who you know is our friend, our head of IT at University of Pittsburgh Med here. Who has is included in a chapter, um, and and that happened numerous times to Chuck. So he would text me and say, "I got pulled over today. I had to show my papers." And I had copies of his papers, like when he got issued them in Pittsburgh. I, you know, at least five times, if not more, and. That's crazy. People forget that happens. People forget the papers are out there. I didn't include it in the book because, again, it was issued by his employer. And part of your role as an author in a published work, right, is you have to be careful when you interview people and you're writing about them because I don't want to set them up to be, you know, undermined uh, or in a controversial position, right? So, you know, Chuck was fine with me. Having that information, but in the moment, you know, I didn't post it on social media or something like that, but in, to put it in the book or even to redact some things and put it in the book, and you know, his employer, you know, could come back and say, well, that wasn't meant to be shared, you know, publicly or something like that. So that's where that stuff never made it into the book because, you know, part of the responsibility, I think, as an author, especially in the nonfiction scholarly work is to, to I mean, to be truthful, which I completely was, but um, to also not not set your the people you interview up for um tripwires down the road. And and I told people that many times when I you know, everybody that I interviewed and, and some of the things I'd be like I wasn't changing what you were telling me. I would never do that. And they all read the stuff before it got published. But I said there will be some things I I will not put in there because it's going to, it has the potential to impact you negatively, even as far as like separation from employment. So yes, it would add a dimension to the book. It would make it a little more fascinating stuff like that. But I have to leave some of this out because I'm not going to try to sell more books or try to do, you know, get even better ratings and throw you under the bus. Um, it's just an ethical thing. Um, Coop is saying I never stopped going anywhere during this entire time. Yeah, no, know I didn't really stop going anywhere probably either, but I did have a weird, I don't know. It was like I said, that banking thing was was weird because that was maybe like the first week in April. And, and again, I'm I have to drive on an interstate and I'm thinking and, and, you know, nobody knew. Like you didn't know if you got pulled over if the police would identify what you're doing as essential or non essential. And if it was non essential, what were the consequences? Like nobody knew that it was crazy. Right. Um, so I, you know, I felt I at least had a reason to go up and to meet with the police, but it was weird. You know, again, it's, I, we, we kind of forget that, but there were a lot of people who were very afraid to drive to be out. Um, Koop is saying, hey, I've been listening and lurking, working. Just got done with one paper I had to write. The safety doc. Uh, the book will be great in a few years if people go back and read it. They might learn a few things about freedom. Um, yeah, you know, it's... So School of heirs, School of Errors... Um, had a revival after the Uvalde uh, school shooting. Just frankly, it did. I mean, the book's uh, uptick in, in sales. And I think this is something, you know, that that continues to be more relevant and, and more. You know, my 2019 PBS presentation seems to be catching more uh, steam and airing across the country. You're right. This book will be something that um, in the moment maybe isn't, I shouldn't say it's not appreciated because I don't think that's true but it's people aren't aware and pretty soon people will identify it. there are some people already who do that I, I find it on you know websites or people contact me or whatever and um there's nothing out there like it right there's just nothing out there like it and I think over the years it will continue to gain a, a kind of almost like a cult following. I would, I would expect this. I would expect the velocity of information to be kind of a cult following book, much like, like Marshall McLuhan's, the messages, the medium and, um, John Ronson. So you've been shamed and things like that, that, that once, once it's out there for a little while, it's going to kind of have this, this group of people who will adhere to it. And then they'll build out their network of saying, you gotta, you gotta read this book. And, um, so, it's really cool. It's it's kind of cool. Well, I should say it is very cool in my class, both classes. But like the class I taught Saturday to to be in front of class and say like, well, I authored like two books, right? <laughs> and they're both through publishers. And here's like School of Airs and stuff we talk about. But here's a velocity of information because like no one me, people just don't know people who write books. It's pretty rare. And you can self publish a book, yes, and. But, like, to go through a publishing house and national, international distribution and, you know, 400 plus citations and just, it's pretty rare. Like, I never knew anybody that did that. And I'm not using that as a tip my hat type of thing, but, but as I, I think it's an important role in what I do. And I share this with people and I said, there's an important role in this class for primacy. And what that means is like, I've done everything I'm telling you to do. I've met with my legislators. I've testified before legislative bodies on numerous things like, right. I have written journal articles, which have been the feature article that they've built the entire journal around. And one of those is coming out in October in Phi Delta Kappen. Like I have done that. I have written letters to the editor. I have published books. I've been on PBS and I'm like, these are all things that you could do to some extent, right, and people just don't see that, they, they, no one has ever, they, they're like, they don't know anybody who's done that, that's one, and the second is they, no one has ever kind of told them, like, you could write an article for a journal, you could do this, so I've changed my classes, because people, no one tells them that they could do this, and their organizations don't encourage them to do this, and, you know, so I'm like, you know what, I had a little video I showed in class. It's on, it's on the internet, right? It's it's a channel three or whatever interviewed me back like 12, 15 years ago. And I'm like, I sold the upper quadrant of our webpage. One 16th of our webpage as a district. We sold that for ad space to local businesses. We made enough money to buy a lift van for students with disabilities with that, with that decision. My board was fully behind me, which I appreciate my superintendent was awesome, but I'm like, that was creative. Like, who does that? Like, you could do that. You could do that. And so, you know, like, you show people this, they're like, "Holy oh, they smokes!" Like, I had no idea. You know, and, and you know, I talk about esports, and I'm like, I'm not telling you this as a someone who just is kind of interested in this. I talked to the head of esports in Wisconsin twice. I interviewed him. I gave him the document. I shared it with you, so you could proof it and tell me if anything's wrong. But we have there's a student in Wisconsin who participates in esports. Who uses a controller that he operates with his mouth because he's a paraplegic? So he has a controller, basically a stick that he operates. He's one of the highest ranked players in esports in the sport that he participates in. And I'm like, that kicks ass. That is great. And you never have you ever heard about this? Nope, never heard about it, Dave. I'm like, how many of you have esports? None of them had esports. I'm like, hey, you go ahead and do this. Here's a person to contact. Here's how to set up esports. Um, it crosses Title Nine. you know, it doesn't matter what gender you are playing eSports, it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter economic economic uh, accessibility, it doesn't matter disability, you can ed- go to Thingiverse, we went to thingiverse.com, right, Thingiverse, where you can go for 3D printing, and like, look at all these adaptive controllers, right, Microsoft already has a ton, and they don't care if you adapt a controller, like, as long as you're not selling them, like, you know, 10 of them, I'm like, look at this stuff. They're like, Oh my God, I don't know that. I didn't know that existed. I'm like, it does. It does. Like, so this benefits like all of your, all of your students. Right. And I'm like, and then I always pause and say, why have you not heard about this from any of your state organizations? Why hasn't there been a breakout session where they've had Mike Dahl, the head of Wisconsin Esports, at one of your conferences or a keynote, right. About, uh, Um, options for students to participate, including Title IX, including um, Individuals with Disability Education Act, students with disabilities. I'm like, where the hell is this? You never heard about this, right? Nope, never heard about it, Dave. And then, you know, they're all like, well, it seems like in five years, like all this, I'm like, yeah, it'll be here. And it can be here right now for your schools. And it's not their fault. It's their fault that their organizations are not telling them this. It's their fault that at their state conferences they they go to these are like you know Wisconsin esports isn't there, right? And that the Wisconsin esports hasn't invited to be there. It's not Wisconsin esports issue. Like Mike Dahl is an incredible person. That organization is is phenomenal. But I'm like, you know, so I'm telling you, right? And this is, but part of this is wrong. Like you should you should at your core innately feel that it's wrong that I'm the I'm the first person telling you about. Wisconsin Esports, which has been in existence and increased, again, your participation for youth in Title IX and, and, uh, and suits with disabilities. And it's just, it's a really great thing. And, uh, but, you know, you never hear about it. And then I go through all these things like, why, why am I the first time you've heard about this? And then, you know, try to answer that question for yourself, right? <laughs> why, why is it that your, when Wisconsin had uh, a, a bill you know 44 to um, make it so school classroom doors could be uh, modified for different safety safety devices such as like a keypad that you should have to enter a code in to, and then additionally move the handle to get out of the door. Why is it that your state organizations never let you know about that so you could come down and testify and I did and I've got the recording of the testimony and then you know so i'm like you've got to know right that and I, i'm your truth agent in this i'm telling you there's there's so much more in this role for you than what you think there is and i said i think that's a good thing right that to make you aware of these things and stuff like that and, you know, so they're like, why, well, why is this information being cur- curated to us? Why don't we see there's our conference? I'm like, well, you know, you can ask that of your conference people. Like, I'm not your conference people, but um, that's a good question, right? Why isn't REMS there, emergency management? Well, because probably, you know, you're not making any money off REMS. They don't sell to districts, right? Esports, you're not making really any money off of that, Um I mean, it's great, but I mean, Wisconsin esports, they might pay an advisor $400 to to be in charge of that. I'm like, look at who, look at your vendor tables outside your conference. Who's paying to be there? So I said, you know, it's just one of those things like, I I really want you to be better than what you are. And I, I said, these are great people. I want them to be aware that there's, there's this whole, when they're in these positions, there is this, this whole, new constellation of opportunities for them that nobody tells them. Nobody tells them they can testify before legislative bodies. Nobody tells them they can bring in the esports stuff. Nobody tells them they can call FEMA and get free on-site training, which they can also parlay into a board presentation and complying with their school safety stuff, which is due January 1st, which is a ridiculous day to have it due, by the way. Um, But nobody tells them this stuff. Because and I think they they don't tell me because there isn't any money to be made off of it at the conference level. So I, just to be frank, I mean, how do you, you how do you overlook this stuff? It's unconscionable. So so I'm always glad. You know, one of the students came up to me after class and said, um, he said, Dr. Proden, I would have never known about this stuff had you not presented it. It's not at our state conferences. I don't see it coming out in memos. I don't hear my peers talking about it. I'm like, well, well, first of all, good. I'm I'm glad you're getting this and you're, you know, but right. Like this is a problem. This is a big problem. Um, and like I said, I don't care. Um, if I'm, uh, I, I'm not a part of a school district, right? I'm not part of these state organizations, so I don't really care. Um, if they're, um, offended by my advocacy in this area, in these areas, I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, it's 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 a weird thing. Um, they don't have really any defense to it. And also, like I saw, one of my my students shared a video from one of the state organizations uh, regarding um, some inclusive practices, which it was very offensive. It was from I think twenty sixteen and and he said you know he watched and he said this is very offensive this is you know very stereotyped and inaccurate and and it, but it was still out on his organization so i said we have two two options here one you can contact them and tell them you know as a member you felt this was offensive or if you don't want to do that i will contact them and tell them I believe, you know, I feel this is offensive and this is outdated and then, you know, give them an opportunity to uh to remove it from their website and to, you know, do whatever they want to try, to try to replace it with, you know, information that's more accurate, but but I but I said, you know, it's part of it, right? You've got to call people out sometimes. You have you've, you've got to call out the elephant in the room and not I I I think we're so far away from that as a society especially in school safety we just don't call people out you don't have to call people out with the act of demeaning them um you can just call people out and say i think what you're representing here uh you know unlike your your website in this video um ha- isn't hasn't ageable right i don't think it's reading the room very well so i'm aware of this some other people are aware of it maybe you know you want don't just calling your attention to maybe take a look at it and see if, if this still aligns with, with what you want to portray and just leave it at that. Right. But people won't do that. I don't know. Like for me, I've never, I, I don't know if I've never been, but I'm not really like, I'm not in that hyper offended mode. And again, you know, like my feedback from my PBS presentations has been outstanding. But if someone like pointed something out and said like, I don't agree with this and here's why. Well, okay, then thanks. Maybe, I can improve that. Maybe there was something there that's way off or maybe like, no, I'm still good with what it is. But um, I think it's, it's amazing in my classes though to, and now I can see it because we're halfway through the class. People are starting to think the way that I think, right. Of question these organizations and question what is happening out there and stand up on some of these things. And, we had a great class on Saturday where we you know did some of that and said well here, here, here's like a piece of legislation that I think is absolutely <laughs> ridiculous right and do you feel the same way or not or what if you know parents and students came to you and how would you you know how would you make your argument for district to support this legislation um, and I love when people think that way so it's folks about Direct violation of your Fourth Amendment. Yeah, that asking you where you're going to go and stuff is crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Pokespot, I remember that first three months when nobody was on the road. It was a free for all. Those speed limits, no cops. You got around like nobody's business. Yes. Yeah. That was weird, right? Like the lack of traffic and it's just, it's a strange time. People, again don't they don't remember that that's the way things were it's bending ballistics what up everybody hey bending ballistics we are almost at 1230 subscribers i think we're at 128 or 129 today so you could be the person if you're not subscribed to put us over that and again we're just within a couple hundred hours of watch hour for for being monetized so i think it will happen um So, um, yeah. So Coop's saying, listening to a good show, doing SDI classwork and drinking a few beers, SDI strategic defense initiative. Coop worked on that with Reagan back in the eighties. So it's a good model. Um, Benny, name and time, and I'll, I'll set it up, do live if you want, I'm trying to wrap my head around the concept, maybe we can have a few, so yeah, the doc also is willing and happy to be a guest on shows, just let me know, um, so that would be good, I will return to the Michael Deacon podcast, which is a, a large podcast, um, I haven't got back to Michael on sometimes. So this week's kind of crazy, you know, like the whole concrete project it's, it's thrown me off a little bit. Um, I don't, I don't want to overly commit. Plus I have some firewood coming in and another class I'm teaching and stuff like that. So I, I just feel like I've like when I go on, like Michael Deacon program, I've got to have my stuff together. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, so I don't know if you're seeing this in your community. Like, by the way, I've got to reset the, the. I have a new camera coming in, so I have better white balance and stuff like that. For some reason, like the camera's showing it's just not great stuff. Do you play guitar? I don't. I don't. Um, the guitar in back of me is my Godfather's guitar. Um, he passed away in 2013 of cancer. And um, had given me the guitar, so it is uh, more of a a display and memory uh, piece that I have back there. So yeah, that is it's a cool thing. So I do remember as a kid, like he could come up with songs spontaneously for anything, and they were hilarious. So that was really, really a lot of fun. Um, so let me know if you're seeing the swatting happening in your area if it's happening in schools, if it's happening with hospitals or other businesses or whatever, or if you know anybody who's been swatted, um, And then also, you know, like what, you, what you think would be the response to this, to try to stop this stuff or try to slow it down because there really isn't, there's nothing to impede this right now outside of, you know, this whole thing. Well, we'll let's do legislation. You know, it can be a felony. Well, I could t- I can tell you if someone is willing to do this, right, I mean, realistically, they're not very, that's not going to be something they're going to go through their box, their heuristics of saying, well, you know, it's a felony. Well, you know, Um, so this thing of trying to legislate your way out of this isn't going to work. That's a fallacy. It's probably a mistake. But so what do you do instead you know, and, and so let me know your ideas on that. Like, you know, post them in the comments. Like, what do you do? What do you do instead? How do you try to slow this down or just stop it? Um. And you know, we could say there's nothing that could be done, but I don't believe that. I think there are things that could be done, right? I think especially on the cybersecurity side. And but uh, but th- again, this the response to this is very typical in school safety. We'll pass a bill. So, you know, anything that happens at school safety related, we'll pass a bill and we'll try to legislate our way out of it. Or at least we, as a legislator, we can say we did something. So I just, I look at this and I'm like, this this is so misplaced. Um, This is so, (laughs) it's, you know, again, we have state representative Kevin Miller, Ohio, author, is an author of House Bill 462 that makes swatting a felony, which is good. But is it going to change the frequency of swatting? Probably not. Because people who are doing this aren't going to, you know, you could say if you do swatting, you're going to be in jail for 20 years. It's not going to change this at all. So... The legislative path to this and, and the loss, you know, law side of this and consequences and stuff that's just not going to be effective. Um, so then what might be effective, right? I don't know. I'll think about it, I'll keep working with people, but this type of stuff doesn't work. So, um, so this is corn pop. I wish it could have just stayed that way. It was like living in Fort Myers in the 1950s. So let's go over here. Safety deck Had a kid around here calling a couple of bomb threats a week or two ago. So smokes but yikes. So, but sounds like they found him, right? And identified who it was. So one of the things too, like coop, I tell my administrators, and I, this was always my approach as a school leader, right? I said, We need to have an assembly, you know, at the start of the year. And there's a few things we need to cover. And one is, one of these would be like, if, you know, you call in a threat to the school, uh, we will relentlessly with police try to, you know, we'll find you, right? And there will be the consequences that will follow you and your family through (laughs) through life, right? You got to be really overt with that. So boom, like that was that was you know one thing to, to put out there. The second thing is we would bring in like the district attorney and the police, the district attorney who's going to charge you with the crime and say, if you're sending nude pictures of yourself or others like on you know under age, right, through the internet um, to others who are under age, like here's here's where this will go, right? This you'll be charged. Um, here's what it looks like to be on a registry where you have to knock on all your neighbor's doors doors and say, knock, knock, knock. Here I am. Like I have to let you know, I'm on a you know, sexual registry offender list and stuff like this. Like do not, um, uh, sugarcoat any of this, like put it out there. I've had, I had more instances as an administrator where parents came to me and said, my kid, like they never knew like this could happen. This could blow up like this. And I'm like, I'm sorry. You know, it's, it is w- what it is. There's consequences. And if they would have only known, well, you know, but I changed, I, I changed my approach and I tell my aspiring school leaders, be very overt in these areas. And again, you'll have know, people say, oh, like we shouldn't be talking about those things during an in-service with students or, you know, we're going to give them ideas. That's garbage. Like you lay it out and again, you know, document it and put it out there and you say, hey, if you you know, if, again, if you do this and here's the whole registry thing and stuff like that, Um and in addition to other things and, and, and the fact of what this impact, usually what kind of hits kids is here's the, here's what it could look like for your family. And you give cases, like here's a kid who did this, like, so you've been shamed and, you know, and here's what it was like for their family and have their family. And, and, and then kids are like, oh shit, like, I don't want to I don't want to deal with that. Or, you know, you're trying to apply for a job later on or trying to, you know, go to a college or whatever you're trying to do. Right. This. So it, 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 I found that to be effective. Um, let's go back here to chat. So it's agorizer. Goodbye. We can that legislator way out of everything for God's sake. You're right. CNT. you're right. Coop. Absolutely. Right. School safety. People try to go there. Four hundred pills a year. Twenty uh, percent uh, approved. So, I'm. It's late. I'm still straight. Agorizer. January says a lot about cops of calling them as a way to enact violence. Yeah, the whole swatting thing is is a weird take on society, right? And so it's one it's one thing to SWAT a school, an institution. It's another thing to SWAT an individual. So, you know, as we had the, the video the Call of Duty, where it was, if I can find it here, um the the guy who was killed um, because he came out on his front porch and he didn't put his keep his hands up. So Shaw, or Shane Gaskill. Let me put that down in the chat. If you want to Shane basketball. The year was uh, 2017. The playing call of duty. Uh, pissed somebody off. Right. And they called the police and saying, this guy's got a weapon. He's dangerous. stuff like That police show up. He goes out on the porch, doesn't keep his hands up, puts his hands down. I assume the police assume he's uh, getting a weapon or something. And they, they kill him. So, um this stuff's crazy. So um, Corn Pop. There's a bomb threat called in every time Megan McCain is on her way to the bathroom because oh my goodness. Many people think the view kicked her off because she's a moron. Coop is saying these kids, especially young men, need to understand the nudie pics to get them in serious trouble. You're right, Coop, and this is where schools um, and, and communities in general, right, need to be very direct and overt on telling kids, whether it's male or female, of of saying. And coming in and presenting, and not just just the principal, principal police, and your district attorney, your district attorney, uh, attorney, right? Who's going to file charges in in the, the the case, right? And come in and say, if you know you do this, and also give examples, like here's your here examples in the state, right, where this has happened. But if you do this, like. This could be a consequence of you, you know, and, and then also, um, restitution and you could be on a offenders list. I think there was something where it was even a kid as young as like 12 or 13 got on a sexual offenders list for some of this. Um, and then, you know, once you're on that, here's what you're going to have to do. Here's what your parents are going to have to, to do. And, and kids listen to that, right? Um, But what I also hear schools will be like, oh, we don't want to talk about it because then it gives kids ideas. And I hate that whole, we're not going to give an exemplar. We're not going to give a template. We're not going to give an example because people will then get an idea in their mind and they're going to follow that. I think that's a garbage excuse. I think there's a coward's way out. And I hear that so often from people. Oh, we don't want to put ideas into their mind. I'm like, this is already out there. Be very explicit. You're going to help people. You're going to help kids by doing the presentation this way, right? And answering any questions they have and their their parents and things like that. Trust me, like you are much better off to do it this way than to say, well, let's hope it doesn't happen here that, you know, the, you know, 15-year-old girl sends her, you know, 15-year-old boyfriend a picture and then it gets posted around school or, or, you know, vice versa or whatever it is, like, um, and and now we've got, you know, these, or they send it to a staff member and the staff member opens it up and and they're not, they don't know what it is. And then they're like, they forward it to an administrator. Well, now you've just forwarded, a, I mean, like, so I go through this, right? And I and I also tell my superintendents, I said, there should always be, you should always have a notebook in your top drawer, right-hand drawer of your desk, in that notebook, you should be writing questions that you have for your school's attorney. So we always come across these things in class. And I said, here's something for the notebook. Yep. And then right now, you know, like if we were, could, what would a professional development look like? What should we cover? Like legally, what do you know? And then, um, and, and have, have that, right? Um, you know, should we put it in policy that we're going to present this annually? Or how do we link it out to policy if we do a presentation like this? Um, but as as I tell people, like this is this is what your state organization should be doing, which you are paying thousands of dollars to. They should already be getting it, they should be well ahead of this curve and have like template presentations available for you, like regional people who can come out and, and do this, like some exemplar presentations that they've given, which they've done none of this. And why don't they? Because it's controversial, right? So they're not going to dip their toe into those waters. And I'm like, you know, I'm telling you, right, this is a huge benefit to your student body and your parents if you identify the elephant in the room and get ahead of this stuff. Um, you're going to have much better outcomes than if you don't. So, uh, safety doc, did you see the walleye fishers get caught? I did. Where they put weights inside of the fish and then also put fillets for extra weights. So if you just open the fish up, you really wouldn't. I probably initially see these fillets. What, what What a scummy move, right? That's horrible. So they added weight to these fish to, to win. And these are like several thousand dollar competitions and stuff. What a, what a scummy thing. So, um, And I'm also surprised that, that there wasn't already a process in place to kind of gut these fish and to check for their integrity. I guess you can always, you know, because they say, oh, now you're compromising. It can't be tax, you know, taxidermy won't be able to do what it needs to do, but what a scummy thing. Yeah. Um, this is bacon. You're not wrong about the doc. One of the things IUSD did to try curbing truancy was to start, um, I think it was Inglewood school district, finding the parents of the student that did third strike was like 206 back in 2016. So, yeah, I mean, and let's say like a, a student is, is sharing uh, nude photos or something of like that underage and all of this stuff. Uh, the consequences on parents and where they work and their community and all of that stuff. I think it's to bring in a, some parents, especially if they're more local or from the state, to share some of these things. Let's say you know, once there's once the child had done this, like here's what it was like. You know, we were. It was hard to go shopping. We had to shop at night, right? We had to, I mean, kids listen to that type of stuff. Um, or a kid say, you know, when I did this, I never, I didn't think about any of this. And I didn't realize, right, for my whole family and even anything that we did from shopping at a store was, was bizarre um, because, right, this hyper scrutiny. And I, again, the, I, I, it's just weird that that isn't, Okay, I'll talk to my classes and say, what do your state organizations tell you about this? And it's crickets. And then I'll say, like, have you seen this anywhere as a keynote? Well, like John Ronson, so you've been shamed. Have you seen this as a keynote? Have you seen this as a, as a breakout? Nope, haven't seen it at all. I'm like, well, that was a problem, right? <laughs> um, because I believe a lot of the conferences present on what they're comfortable with and what is very broad and not very deep versus what is very important and what applies to everybody, but could be low instance. Um, they don't do that. So, and I call them out on it. And I said, you should call them out on it too. I'll take some time here when we get to some of the additional conferences coming up, I'll download their, um, you know, their schedule, what's happening and and we can go through and say, well, you know, (laughs) here's what's nice. Right. But here's like, what's important and here's what's not being covered. Um, so, CNT or Coop is saying one guy in Arizona got the cops called late at night, um, and he answered the door with his gun. The cops shot him. It's a couple of years ago. It was a bad shoot, and the cops should be prison, never charged. So, um, kind of goes into that whole swatting area. What you're saying, Coop? Yeah. Um, let me go here. John Ray, so terrible, this whole system needs to be burned to the ground and start over. We need to re, re, a reversion, yeah. I, I shared something in this week's class on Saturday. So I put up on the board and, and I said, there are topics you will get into as a school administrator in your board of education, because as an administrator, your job is to inform the board and so you have to document how you've come to whatever it is your conclusions on whether we should mask or not mask or whatever, and how you're informing the board. And then the board has to make their decision, right, on some of these these big items that impact the district. But, um, but you know the the thing is, so you know, see, so you've got you'd never know how a board truly is going to act on these things, and and you know, kind of got to make make your move based upon you got to inform them the best you can, whatever the decision you make, you got to live with it. Um, but I also said like, you know, what do you, what do you do when you, when you have a board that doesn't listen to you, right? <laughs> they're they're kind of listening to what's on the news and other things. And is really hard as a superintendent. Um, but uh, so document really well how you're informing your board. Um, Corn pop. Ian was just mother way's, Mother Nature's way of resuming Florida, a seminal wind, if you will. Yeah, I remember John Anderson's song Seminal Wind that scared off the Yankees. So um So let me see here. Dun, 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 Andrew, I always assumed these fishing tournaments were all rigged. What would stop someone from fishing the day before and keeping a cooler on their boat? So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, seems like there would be ways to do that, right? And especially you'd be out and might not have boats around you. And uh, But we were watching the downfall of Western society. Yeah, I... I don't know. I I try to I personally and I tell my like aspiring superintendents I'm like, you know, be be a good person, right? Be good to people and and also there are ways to conduct yourself and conduct board meetings and things these these passions. So when I well, I what I put on the board was I said passionate topics in schools. There's a number of them from dress code to covid and stuff like that, but I so when people Present on passion topics, they don't go lateral. They never go lateral. To, laterals to inform. They never are changing their position. They will, they go passionate and passionate goes deep. Passion is at deep roots. They will double down, triple down, quadruple down. And I said, you have to know the difference, right? If you expect t- people to go passionate, then like it doesn't, you got to be careful on if you're trying to move them lateral, because that's not where they're at. You're kind of listening to them, right? And, um, even, even the language you use. So it's, instead of saying like, um, we, we need to meet in the middle or something like that, like, that's not good language because you're defining the middle, right? And I kind of, I tell people this, I'm like, there's so much that needs to be spent on semantics in schools and just language as like a leader of what you say. And it would be like, and I said, you know, if you're really working with someone who is, who's very oppositional to what you're doing is you say, um, am I crazy to, or are we crazy to think that we can't, um, uh, you know, uh, make a decision that will benefit all of our students? And that's not a good example, but it's an okay example. Am I crazy to think that, you know, we, we can't, without being like really overt about how you present that really animated because people would, people are going to, you can respond yes or no to that. And if you allow people to respond no, you allow them to be protective. So they'll be like, well, no, it's not crazy that we can't move closer into position, a collective viewpoint of helping our students, right? So, right, it's, so I'll bring these things up, right, and I'll, as a speech language pathologist and, like, semantics expert, I guess, you know, and stuff like that, and I'll say, you, where are you getting this for your organizations? Where do you have a conference where they bring in, like, Chris Voss, the, you know, head FBI negotiator international for a number of years, and and these agencies, Donovan Group, you know, things, and, like, I wrote in Philosophy of Information, like, the, the semantics of the um, committee for national morale in 1942 and what they use for, for words and images. And I'm like, and I said, there's so much to be learned and incorporated in your board of education policy uh, or board of education meetings. Like even like the visuals that are up in the room should be like all like kind of students doing things. Like you can get those vinyl printouts and stuff like that. And the way that you space people out in the lighting and the words that you're using, And as I just gave that no example, I'm like, these are all things that are very important. And I'm not, those aren't just FBI tactics. Those are tactics in negotiation for businesses. Right. And things like this. And, and I said, you're not getting any of that from your organizations in your conferences, like, why not? Like, why aren't they bringing these people in of saying if you know, here's and and run people through mock things like that. I do it with my students. And, and it changes things like they I give them a few key phrases to use right that changes a narrative and but you know you don't see it you don't you don't see those things being taught and one of my soup one of my superintendents a year ago uh, we were talking and really getting into a deep discussion kind of outside of class of the road to victory which was 1942 from the committee for national morale and I said you know what if if I were you, right, I would I would have these vinyl displays of what's happening in schools in a positive tone, right? That's student based. I would have I would have these pictures and I'd have them made up into these, you know, six foot tall, whatever, you know, these things that you can put up on stands. And I would put those around your boardroom. And I would I would mirror a lot of the stuff that was done in committee for national morale for imaging. And I would here's the, here's some other ways I would just conduct the meeting as a superintendent. Here's how I would lead things a little bit differently. And he did it, and he said it was the greatest thing ever, right? And I'm like, yeah, right. And I'm like, you always end every presentation. I t- I tell people this too. I'm like, you always end every presentation you give with a slide that says, "What questions do you have?" And people are like, well, is that a requirement? I'm like, it's it's what you have. No, right? It's not legally mandated. You don't have to do that. But I'm like, it is a it's a technique, right? And it also provides in discovery if anything goes weird legally for something that you've done, a training right on bullying and harassment or non-discrimination or whatever it is, right? We go through that you are demonstrating in this slide, right, that you had op- gave people opportunity to seek clarification from the person in charge who had the knowledge who was the presenter versus, like, just delivering this out and ending it. I said, that one slide has a bigger role than you will ever imagine if this comes to litigation and just in your practices. And I said, that slide has a pause with it, right, of several seconds, you know, anything out there, any questions, any whatever on the terminology or whatever, or boom, come back to me at a different time if you've got questions, and because a lot of people don't end that, they just put the end, and I said that's not the way to end any present, or whether it's with students, right, you're talking about if, you know, the sending of inappropriate, you know, photo, because we know, you know, students they do this, right? They send it back and forth. So you're doing this presentation and then you have this section where it's like, what are your questions? and or you get the ball rolling like yeah I mean if you if you want to get the ball rolling, you can pretend like there was a question submitted ahead of time or two questions they' say like here's two questions that were submitted to you know the counselor and the first one was whatever. And then it, it kind of breaks the ice and people start to do the questions. but but these are all style things. And you know, so when I present these, I'm like, "This works. I know that this works." And here's like this source, and, and do these things is not expensive. And but these people are never coached on style by their professional agencies that they pay thousands of thousands of dollars to be a part of this group every every year, right? And uh, it really bothers me. Um, but you know, again, there are. I go back and I anchor everything I do into science, and you know, and as as I said, you know, like I'm like, well, here's here's like esports, and I'm like, here's not esports for my interpretation. I talked to the head of esports in my state twice, and here's a document I put together. It's three pages long. He proofed it and made sure like it was all accurate because it's kind of not my wheelhouse, but I want it to be available for you um, because of Title Nine and because of access for individuals with disabilities and whatever. And I said one of the things in the eSports he told me straight off is there will be districts will, that will have a no-tolerance policy for any weapon imagery. And so if there's eSports and you're fighting aliens and there's a gun that you're holding, you know, that shoots laser beams, they'll say, we can't participate in eSports because it violates our zero-tolerance policy for weapons. That is in our state, right? Um, so he's like, you know, that immediately eliminates some of the esports options. So like how do you get ahead of that? How do you how do you think through that, right? Because the game's not going to likely change. Um but if your district has that zero tolerance policy and they're saying well look at this right we gotta suspend the kid who brought the Lego gun to school as a kindergartner, which is true. Like I had to share that in class. Um but uh but here we have a game you know where someone has a whatever Output in there shooting laser beams at aliens and you know, or whatever it is, right? And uh, and so we it's not call it you're not playing Call of Duty as esport, right? But um, so we can't participate in esports because of this. Uh, I don't know, you know, really, that's where you're going. I mean, your school has like you're also also your school has an uh, you know, maybe a rifle team or whatever like that. And, um, so. I get I get where people are going on this, but right, they gotta think about this and they've got they've got to square this and write the ship early. And that's where if a superintendent is informed and they make a distinct thing, and this is where again these state organizations, if they would just come out and say, We are aware that you know there are um you know s- some weapons or whatever that are used in a cartoonish manner in some of these games and and, and things, but um you know, there these aren't people that are depicted and whatever and um, but um and and here's here's what we we view and, and take a position as the benefits of esports and getting students involved in extracurriculars and whatever, but they won't do that, right? So again, as soon as I point out these things, and these organizations are just like, you know, kind of blowing in the wind, you know, they're gonna they're not gonna get into this because they don't wanna be be brought up, but um anyway. So, well, thank you uh, for being here betting ballistics. I appreciate it. Um, No phones working here on Thursday because of Ian. Corn pop. Gotcha. Um, So let me go through here. Corn pop. Um, Way down south in the Everglades, where the black water rolls and sawgrass plays, eagle flies in the outer plays. Lena Seminole. John Anderson, right? John Anderson. Um, yeah, it's good. I have that song. I left my heart in Sarasota. It's Bolo. Um, yet they fire t shirt cannons at the people during ball games. Good point, Ron. Ron Wayne, good point, right? This is the hypocrisy of, of some of these things, right? You're absolutely right. So you go to, you're like, you can't do this. We can't participate in esports. And you're like, okay, but like we have the t-shirt cannon, right? That uh, That is brought out, you know, at the football games or the basketball games and um, or we sent the the you know the student high school down to the state tournament where they're shooting the t-shirt cannons into the crowd. <laughs> You're right, Ron. Like there, there there's this whole weird double standard on things, right? Um, on these. So that's a really good point. Actually, I'm gonna I'm going to I'll come back and I'm going to note that when I come back to that in class, um, and say, you know not only like what if this happens in your district, which is, you know, those, those have been around or the potato cannons or whatever those things, not that you're shooting potato cannon at your crowd, but you know, the students have these. Um, but you know, what if you're sent, what if your students are going to, uh, you know, basketball, they go to a bucks game, right. i here in Milwaukee, not where I live. I don't live in Milwaukee, but you know, that would be closest. This is happening. So, uh, yeah, baking the Pop-Tart. Um, that was, there was an elementary student who ate a Pop-Tart and, and when it was done, and apparently it looked like a gun and the kid got suspended for that, which I think is ridiculous. So, um, when I wrote the, the feature article for Find Delta Kappa, which comes out October 24th, um, I, I had that, I took it out before I I, cause I didn't, I didn't want to give like one example that people could kind of like try to debunk. I had a, like, there's a strategy in writing like that type of article, but that was definitely there. And, but I, but I still have soups to this, to this day that have these zero tolerance policies. And I'm like, you know, well, what'd you do? Well, we just, I'm like, don't suspend. What the hell are you doing? Like, it's a kindergarten student. Like, you don't do that. You know, Um, you just don't do that. So. And what discretion do you have to interpret your policy and um, best interest of the student? And you know, again, it's like the it's it's the district, and I forget, I think it was Pennsylvania that had a kindergarten student brought a gun that was the size of a Lego. It was part of the Lego kit, you know, for whatever he had, and he brought it to school and he got suspended off of the bus um for a few days for that. Something like, I don't know. Like <laughs> Maybe there's a lot more to that story, but wow. So let's do this. Um, type here. That'll be nicer. I'm so looking forward to this headset coming in. Kindergarten. Oh. Um yeah, I don't know. Let me try to find this here. It's gotta be Lego. That's what it was. You can find these like all over the um, internet though, if you do a search. So yeah, here let me bring it up. Let's share let's share screen. Yes, I do want to share the screen. God's sakes, could you put more ads on here? Jeez. Um, Let's make this bigger. Okay, so here's the, the title. I made it a little too big. Kindergarten Kindergartner given detention for bringing this tiny Lego figure gun on a school bus. This is from the Daily Mail, but... A six-year-old kindergartner sparked an uproar on a Massachusetts school. Yeah, this is the one. He was spotted brandishing a tiny plastic Lego gun on a school bus last week. Mike or Mika Crane, the child's mother, insisted that officials at Old Mill Pond Elementary School in Palmer overreacted when another student saw the gun, which is slightly bigger than a quarter. alerted at the driver. So there's a gun. There's a quarter. So this got him kicked off the bus. Um, The driver said he caused quite a disturbance on the bus. The children were traumatized. I guess there's a school. In the aftermath of the instance, the school sent a letter home to parents explaining what had happened, stressing there was no actual firearm. The missive was accompanied by a photo of the black toy gun showing its actual diminutive size. That's probably a good move by the district to do that. Crane's son has been forced to write a letter of apology to the bus driver. I don't know. <laughs> As a kindergartner, what kind of letter are you writing? So, um, I don't, I, that's interesting. He was also given detention Tuesday and could be temporarily stripped, stripped of his busing privileges. Uh, I could see if it was, you know, an airsoft gun or something. It's just toy the mother said. Student who yelled about the toy gun on the bus also had to issue an apology, which both the child's mother and Crane believe was a mistake, because could should be able to speak up without seeing something suspicious? That's his mom? Well, that's interesting. Okay. Um, All right. Anyway, school did not... I would respond to comments, didn't comment. I don't know. Probably not the photos I would want if I was a mom. Facebook, apparently Facebook, so interesting. So this is where schools, I think, make bad decisions because of zero tolerance policies, right? And this is one of those things where if it repeatedly happened, you know, like, okay, we don't, yeah, we're not going to embrace a, a culture of you repeatedly bringing this onto a bus or onto school premises. But if it's, if it's one time or whatever, um, and this is a kindergartner, seems again, this is a this is a quarter. This is obviously right from face validity, not a threat to anybody um so a quarter is a threat you can choke on the quarter but i don't not to make light of this i just this this is a this is the type of thing that zero tolerance policies really trip you up everybody talks discretion 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 until something like this happens and they just go with their zero tolerance policy so um um, John, I'm so scared I'll die from computerized illustrations of weapons. Um, and Corn Pop. Sarasota has broken many hearts, particularly the one half Puerto Rican, half German girl. My goodness. So, John Race. Hey, buddy. Take care. Uh, what am I doing? Trying to get move along here. Um, Andrew, schools have the sign that is shaped like a gun and the red circle and line through it's in gun free zone. Yeah, that's kind of you know, a weird thing, right? I did an article. I wrote an article once. I don't know which journal it was in. And I just said, or maybe I wrote or I published it in School Bears, but I said, you know, that again, like that doesn't do anything to prevent violence in schools, especially gun violence. But I said, what it does is it creates, you know, whoever's your landscaper has to mow around that. That's a pain for them. But I said, the gun-free zone thing, um, originally, right why it was enacted was to provide an extra, it's kind of like getting Al Capone on, you know, tax evasion. It's trying, if there's some loophole for some person with a gun on school premises and uh, shooting or whatever, that you would have this as another way to um, bring up charges. So that's ultimately what was behind that, but it it's just crazy. Um, it's interesting, too, because I know a number of administrators and school folks that carry, still uh, carry with their permission of their school boards. So... Um, I'm not a big fan of pop tarts myself. Spam but fodder. By the way, this channel when it gets monetized, you'd be the first person who could donate ten cents. Or, but uh, yeah, I've, I'm not. My wife makes homemade pop tarts for our daughters. So, but uh, I'm not a big fan of that. Of the, I'm, of like purchased pop tarts. I've never never been into the pop tarts. Um. Yeah, it was G- Joe Graphics, holy smokes, you're right. Man, oh, man. Uh, Daily w- Mail, yeah, I don't know. There's other websites. That's just the first one that came up. Begin is saying, imagine my uh, disappointment when I found out it wasn't for giving away free guns, the gun-free zone. So, wow, yeah. This is the thing, Misty, Mrs. Uh, Wayne. Yeah, the zero tolerance stuff is, well, first of all, zero tolerance is bad. So let's take it even away from guns from this standpoint and, and things like pointing fingers and, you know, if it's a first grader or something like that. But zero tolerance, so let's say that a student has, we talked about this in class on Saturday, a student with a seizure epilepsy disorder is prescribed CBD oil by a doctor. And the school has a no CBD oil policy depending upon the state that they're in, but the school has a policy like that. But, you know, the and the school nurse said, "I'm not going to administer this, right? Because I could lose my state license for administering a controlled substance." And um, you know, so and then the question comes in, well, you know, if it has more than 0.3 THC in it, then it's it's considered what like marijuana and then you could get in trouble and stuff, but you can go down all of these rabbit holes. And at the end of the day, you've got a student with epilepsy who has a doctor's order and has evidence of fewer seizures for the duration and the intensity of the seizures because of the CBD oil. What do you do? And you know, most people come to the realization of, well, you let the kid have, you, you have the CBD oil. I mean, because it's prescribed and it, it is providing the student to be in school um, and receiving, uh, but, but what if your policy right says no CBD oil? So people have to kind of write those, write those ships. Um, so uh, we had archery club in high school, whatever happened to learning really important stuff, yeah i things are we had like debate teams before i got to high school and they were gone they were on the tv at six o'clock at night channel seven um spam bot. when i was in kindergarten i built a catapult out of my, my uh Meccano set uh, we had a blast launching chalk the teacher participate. you wouldn't see it we i remember when i was in elementary school, we had catapults that we built in a science class and we took them to the gym and we had to launch different things like a ping pong ball and other stuff. And the, the one that went the furthest, right? Like we, I think we got awards for that, but the whole, you worked in teams and um, it was pretty cool. Like I, I now that you mentioned, it, I remember that, right? Um, I don't think you would be doing that stuff today. Um, so run away. We have pellet guns and practice drills with, uh, grands and, uh, junior ROTC or, or JROTC when I was in school. So sad things have changed. Our, sc- our school district here has a, um, an, uh, like a rifle club. I know there's a formal name for it. I can't think of it right now. Um, so. Which is, I, I think, good. Um, C and T to run when, they're not really school shootings. back then, times have changed and common sense has gone out the window. So, yeah, school shootings and just I don't know societal violence is kind of, um, it's just really, really strange. Like I don't know what was it, Arlington Heights, Chicago, you know person opens up and shooting people just at random. And it's really disturbing. Like there was a kid, elementary kid who's paralyzed from the waist down. And I've been reading a little bit because I mean, it's not that far from where we're at. And, you know, he's like, just the kid feels robbed of his, of being able to play in a little league and all this stuff. I mean, and appropriately so. Right. Like, I mean, it's, uh, this, this stuff is really, you know, but I'm also I'm much more in the camp lately that the news well, and I wrote about this in velocity of information, right? The news is typically garbage, especially the mainstream news. And they just tend to amplify the worst of what's happening. And there's a lot of good that's happening. Like right now, there's a lot of good happening in Florida organically with people in Florida helping each other and people coming in cage and you don't hear anything about that, right? So, I even thought about what would it look like if I was to make a Twitter handle and every day post out like only good things that are happening. I don't, I mean, I, I don't know what that would look like. Right. I'd have to, I I think of a format and stuff like that, but I think people are so sick of, of this. Uh, that's the thing too. Like, I, I think people see through a lot of this stuff. Um, was it Neil McCoy, right? Who I follow posted the Italian, you know, prime minister, whatever the new the lady who got voted in. And and he took like 30 major media outlets from around the world, and he he took their talking points and they were identical from one to another. You know, like this be the worst person ever, and this the new Mussolini, and 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 it but the thing was it was verbatim, right? And it was made to scare people and Again, I'm not. I don't know this person. I haven't really, you know, researched and whatever. But it was like this position statement was, was scripted, and then people are just supposed to tell you what you're supposed to think about this this new prime minister of Italy. Um. So, CNT saying there was a school district that said they would not do CBD because the students would be in internal possession of drugs interesting so this is a this is a case that you have in my class and we addressed it on Saturday because um, there there were two instances where um, children with with epilepsy disorder were denied CBD oil yeah, even though it had been prescribed by a doctor um, and both of the courts circuit court six I think I forget the other one um, had ruled in favor of the student saying the district was was wrong in uh, not allowing the student to have this. and uh, and so but again, I go back I, so this is what I do in the case study. I go with my I could probably bring it up here. Let's see. So I have this as a case study with my students. and you know again, it seems like it's very clear initially. Which is not true. This is where you have to apply discretion, you have to use best interest, and you have to look at your board of education policy and so let me see if I can find find it here. Dun dun dun, dun, dun. Where did I have it? I've got the class up here on the left. Um God, I thought I had it in the morning. Where do I have it here? Come on. Jeez. Athletes, optional. Title nine, CBD oil. Here we go. All right. Um. So, yeah, I had CBD oil. In schools, so then every person had to check their policy, and some schools had it, some didn't, um, and then also, like, so what does it mean, right? How would you, What if your nurse, what if it was something your school nurse said, I'm not going to administer this because if it's more than 0.3 THC, it's a felony, and I'm administering a controlled substance to students, I, I could lose my license, I, I could, not, you know, might not work again. And the thing is like CBD oil typically isn't through a pharmacy, you know, so how do you know, where do you, where do you play this middle road? And, um, so I go through and I bring up like the state, the state nurse state, <laughs> our, our department of quality construction, right? The nurse, the statement is from 2018, four years ago, basically saying we understand your apprehensions and it's kind of up to you. Right. So I always leave it to the district. Don't give any guidance. I brought up some, some uh, rulings from uh, different states on this. New Mexico was one. I brought up some guidance from Texas on um, that from their uh, state school organization, Powakia, Paw- Wisconsin, which has a, does not allow CBD in schools. But we brought these things up, right? And I said, what's, what's a few, what are a few things you notice? You know, well, one is it, all the stuff that came out from like the state organizations and the Department of Instruction are old. Yeah, I'm like they're old. They're like four four years old. Like, right? They're not giving you any updated guidance or position statements on this, so they're leaving it up to you. They're not going to take a stance on this, which isn't unusual. I don't think it's strong leadership on their part, but it's not unusual. And then, um, so let's go through your hierarchy here of discretion and best interest. What do you think you should do? And what would you do, you know, if this happened and they're coming out with data and, you know, the physician and stuff like that, granted your school nurse is accurate in saying, I don't know the, the, I can't verify this CBD oil, right? Because it's not coming from a pharmacy and there's a chance because CBD oil has to have the THC removed. It could have more than 0.3, but if it does, like what's the consequence, right? Um, and so, you know, I'm trying to get people to make a decision on this. And most people come around to the decision of I'm going to act in the best interest of this child, use my professional discretion, and say we will administer this because the physician and they have documented records of saying the child has fewer seizures and they're less severe. And so child can be at school and they're also having, um, if you don't do this, you're, there's the likelihood of more uh, severe intensity of a seizure um, and longer duration of a seizure and that child's not going to be in school. And then also like, what is your really negative outcome from this? What if, what if there is some THC that's in the CBD oil? I mean, just what if like, because someone said, well, you our resource officer can check for this. I'm like, yeah, your resource officer could check if there's THC present, but they wouldn't be able to check if there's 0.3. That's a lab. They, they have a test that says whether it's present or not, not how much. Um, so, you know, you kind of get, and then, you know, people get a little bit, they're like, well, why aren't our state organizations telling us this? Why is the department of public construction not updating their statement on this? And so I said, you know, you, you, have got to, you got to make decisions on this stuff, right. And back it up. And, and I said, I'm not telling you what to do, right. I'm not your boss, but if those, if this was me, this is what I would do. And I would back it up in best interest to do I'm using my professional discretion. If it's an issue, believe I got the board and back me and, and, um, but you know it's these type of things, right? Nobody does a case study like this and everyone's like holy smokes and I'm like this but this is real. This happens. So, you know, and if you've got this zero CBD policy and there's there's not a consideration for a, a student with epilepsy, right? That's a mistake. You got to fix the policy. I'm very clear on that. That's one thing like I am very clear on these things and I do this more in class than I did in the past where I'll say, here's what I would do. I don't like to do that because I don't like to, I, I want people to kind of right figure this out on their own, but I'll let it go so long. And then if it kind of isn't going anywhere, I'll say, well, here's what I would do and here's why. Um, and then hopefully again, it's a primacy effect, which Graham Wilson talked about a couple weeks ago on our show, the um, pilot and you know, you, you have to lead by example. And I think, as a professor, I have to lead by example. Um, so, but. Look at this here from Bolo. My dad met my mom on a blind date because he achieved Marksman M14 and got a weekend off. Well, that's cool. Whoa, that is a cool story. I'd follow you and share everyone, laugh out loud. So who's that, too? That's kind of cool, Misty Mrs. Wayne. Sounds like a great idea, Doc. So I see Neil McCoy, the singer, at the store from <laughs> A Nice guy. Whoa, look at that. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have McCoy... Um, the youtuber from his former military. Um, I like him in uh in Great Britain. I don't know, I can't find the link to his. He's there's he's a good guy. Um, when you watch Congress, he uh, says, um. When you watch Congress, you get the story, and the media picks it up and runs with it. Yes. Andrew, Michael Malice loves to say the media never puts subtitles on Hitler's speeches, implying that people might like the message. Interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Um, So... John Rice, Matthew McConaughey went to school here, but plays like he didn't. Wow. We can make our own CBD oil up here in Canada, it says below. So yeah. Our state is is our governor wants to legalize kind of marijuana and more broadly CBD. And I guess wherever they go with that. It's as I said to people in the case that, you know, it's kind of irrelevant for the case. Well, I guess it's not irrelevant because then you would likely have more standing or whatever. I don't know, but there's something, there's just something where you look at things and you're like, this is the right thing to do. And people know that. And I, as I told everybody in class, I'm like, you know what to do when the student gets lost with autism and is wandering in a woods near a lake you know that you got to go out there and find the kid, right? You got to do what you have to do. You don't stop because there's a no trespassing sign. Like, you know, again, I can say this as a professor, you know, it's not legal advice. I'm not their boss, but I said, you know what to do though, right? Like you do know what to do. And you know what to do in the CBD case study, which seems really complicated. um, Right. But you also know when these things went up to circuit courts, that the circuit courts back the parents and saying the districts need to administer this. Um, the CBD oil. And you also know that in your heart of hearts, like that's the right thing to do. And as an administrator, right. And if there's, if it, con- if it conflicts with your policy, then you got to adapt your policy. So, but I look at, I still, I look at that. I'm like, where's your state, organ- where's the update from your state organization or your department of public construction on this? At uh, one time the public department of public construction, I don't know. I think if it was, IP individualized education plan forms or whatever but i said to them why don't you have some templates out there could have been that could have been allergy management or something but i talked with somebody or emailed somebody or i was pretty adamant and said you know like why don't we have some examples and i was willing to provide examples be glad to do that like on a school safety report like i'll provide objectives right i i'll give you that for free um that people could do like checking our two-way radios for your report this to January 1st, stuff like that. And the response was, well, if we do that, then everybody will make it, we'll just reproduce it and 421 districts will submit the same thing. And I was like, wow, that's a bad answer. That's really a bad answer on your part. And the other fact is you're assuming everybody's an idiot then, right? That people wouldn't know this is a this is a template. This is an exemplar that they can adapt it and modify it for their own context and situation, right? <laughs> um, for so for you to say what you're really telling me though is you're telling me I don't want to put this out there because what if I'm wrong, and what if I share something and now I'm wrong and I shared it with 421 districts and they did something wrong? That's what you're saying. And if you are, then you are. Then if you're wrong, you say, well, we're informed and we'll change it. But let's be clear on the message that you're, what you're trying to say is we're not going to do this because then everybody will copy it and it, then it will be convergent versus divergent and you know, all of this stuff. Like, yeah, again, what you're saying is I'm unwilling to go out on a limb and put some things out. And, and if that's where you're at, then at least right. Allow some districts to have a toolbox like they do in RIMS and share some of this information out. That they could put it out there so other districts at least know it's there and they can adapt it for their own use if they want. Not that you have to endorse it necessarily, right? But my God, don't be so damn cowardly to endorse and put a template out there for people who really need it in these districts, right? And and to to be the clearinghouse and to be the curator of the toolbox like REMS ED. Like that just boggles my mind um again it's just not the way that i operate and and that's where i'm very strongly advocating to my aspiring school leaders when you have the chance right and or to make the chance to be heard these are some things you can change right collectively you know, the Department of Public Construction to add a toolbox section, which is very similar to REMS-ED where people can submit documents or forms or whatever templates of policies or so other people can benefit from these. Um, But just the way I am all the way. C T the Federal Department of Public Construction should be abolished. I agree with that. I, I completely agree and as i think they should salt the land where it's at so nothing grows there but uh um department of ed has should uh, department uh, education should be handled at a state level um department of education and department of education for school safety has been horrible right so we have the safer communities bill that came out at a federal level and you could say well it's not a department of education bill. well i get that right but department of education is is part of um, safer I don't know, schoolsafety.gov and whatever, but the f- school safety it, from a federal level, there's nothing going on. Uh, the Fed uh, dumped out a billion dollars for mental health, but no framework on how to do that at a, at a state level. So um, let the states be in, in <laughs> special education. When special education was passed in 1975, right? The Fed said, oh, we'll pay 40% that we'll give to your states, um, which was flow-through dollars comes to states. They pay 15%, leave the states on the hook for 25%, which is, you know, in, in my state, between that and not having the 60% state funding, there was a billion-dollar deficit last year that this, the districts had to make up. So, um, yeah. I am. I am not a fan of the Department of Public Instruction at a federal level. I think that should all be um, all be state level. And it, again, when I was in the '70s. That came about. So, um, just, a, just <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that drug free zone. Um, but Ritalin and Adderall, yeah, right. So people would bring that up during class, Andrew, and they would say, "Well, we have a number of you know kids that receive you know." controlled substances by medical order? Or what if a student, you know, a parent sends a, something, a liquid form of whatever in a bottle from a pharmacy? How do we know that that hasn't been altered by the parent? So I don't know, right? Um, but these these are all, what to build off this, one of the things I did when I was a school administrator, we bought gun cabinets for our schools, uh, to house all of these medications which were coming in uh, because um, we thought the schools could be targets for people coming in and breaking in and trying to steal these things so um yeah it was it was it was pretty crazy back then i'm sure it's even crazier now so ron your good news ideas tweets at the safety dot good idea i like that i've been I don't know what the, I don't know if it'd be a safety doc that would put that out, but, or if there would be like a different Twitter account or something, but I think, I think there's a lot of merit in that. I don't know what my, how I would inform that, right? Like what the, what the input, what the sources would be on that. Now, I kind of like like Southern Prepper One, but he does like boots on the ground. People tell him, oh, like, you know, things that are happening are usually negative things. And maybe like some people could like email things of like, here's good things happening or whatever, or, you know, cause, but I think like if you just even did like one a day, um you know, like and you know, some like, even like you know, hey, three printers can, you know, print catheters during an emergency, and this is like a an awesome thing or whatever. And or you know, we keep going down the line of some of the good of, of the good news stuff. Um, I don't know if that's what I would lead off with, but but I think there's a there's a lot to that. I think like that would be popular. And I think it's necessary. I'm trying to. I'm not trying to do it to like become famous as a channel. I'm trying to do it because I think it's necessary. Um, I don't know what that looks like. I'll think about it more. And if anybody has an idea, post it down below in the comments or get a hold of me. And um, but I I think there's stuff to that. And as like as I teach my students, like I always bring up like the happiness report, which sounds crazy, but that's a well researched study every year on, you know, like if you lose your wallet, um, the question, what would you rather have? So let's say you you had a salary that met your needs. So let's say it was $70,000 or something. Would you have double your salary or to live in an area where you knew if your wallet was lost, someone would return it to you and it would have everything still in it? Four to one, people said, I would rather live in an area where my wallet would be returned versus... Doubling my salary, right? So there are really important things to also to kind of learn about human motivation, and so like one of my soups brought this up in class. We we're talking about you know you can pay like Des Moines, Iowa paid people fifty thousand dollar bonus to teach this year. Some people, and he said, you know, but statistics will show you that when people leave somewhere. 3% will say because it was the, the money, the compensation wasn't enough. Like other people say like culture, work hours or stuff like this. And I see that's a good point. That's a really good point, right? Like, you know, if you recruit people in for big money into some positions, they're, the likelihood they're going to stay, I don't know. I, I just, the the math and the stats don't show that out or don't don't kind of prove that out. So, um taxation is theft. No kidding. I was talking to my neighbor today about our property. My property taxes went up 16%. I'm assuming his did the same. And uh, kind of like two months from now, I'll probably get, be getting my my tax bill. And I'm like, jeez, like it is it is not going to be good news. Um, <laughs> unless the trespassing sign is upside down. Yeah. I took that photo. I was biking past that, and then I stopped. I'm like, I got to take this photo of that sign upside down. You can walk on your hands. Um, so let's see here. Ask Henry Thoreau, says Bolo. See, Coop is saying to John, we should we should pay something to fund things like the armed forces, but we should never pay what we do now. I do lean more toward where you're, where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, you know, I go back, you know, like on the, I kind of think too of like the student loan stuff going on, like the payment, the student loan payment of a thousand dollars or whatever, but um, like the student loan stuff was really like a college stimulus plan is what that was that was meant to build out the colleges and the faculty um i think more than to quote unquote benefit the students so for years you know that money was was just pushing you know bloating out higher education uh ron wayne we enjoyed the, your tree cutting that was my yeah that was a guy who cut the neighbor's trees stumped down and Yeah, you know, stuff like that, right? Um, So we have a couple lakes in our town, and I can, like, when I do a walk in winter, I can walk by them. I was thinking I would like to go out because there's always ice shanties on from, like, you know, January to March. And I'd like to go out and just, like, do an interview of, like, someone who's, like, just ice fishing or just, like, a short clip. We also have a dude in town who has a Ghostbusters car. It's actually a minivan. It's not in that great of shape, but he does have all of the Ghostbusters gadgets on it. And I saw him like a couple days ago at Walmart, but by the time I got up, well, I parked, I was going to go up to him and like, try to do like a YouTube short of say like, Hey, like, you know, you're the person to ask, you know, how is Elvis? Elvis? Have you seen him lately? And I'm sure like that, you know, if you, come on, if you got that, you're probably playing along with me on that, on that thing. But, uh, but he, he took off like before I got up there, but I saw him today and, but then he wasn't around the vehicles, just kind of parked outside of grocery stores. So. But I'm like, that's pretty cool, man. You got a Ghostbusters car here in town and uh, your Ghostbusters van, you're going around. Like, I like that. I'm, I'm for that. That's a good thing. So, Bolo's saying, not to gloat, but I planted at least 10 trees over the weekend. It's a good deal. Like, uh, I think a couple of years ago, it was like, I, I looked up how much oxygen a typical tree produces it was pretty it was pretty remarkable. Um so Misty Mrs. Wayne, uh, they are all um about taking the taxes but not giving them back follow our tax return in February. I had I had one tax return, it took me literally twenty months to get. <laughs> so nothing crazy with it, Misty, Mrs. Wayne. Um it was just inefficiency on the irs it took 20 months to get the return they did pay interest but still it's kind of like what in the world um taxes equal the government telling you how much you owe them or they take your guns and stuff yeah right if you don't pay your property or pay your taxes they'll take your property um so bolo they're planting i have i have a fire bush who i showed you in that picture from my house that I'm going to move. I think I'll be okay with, if I do it early in spring, I just need to move it like 20 inches closer to the road. It's 15 feet from the road. So, but, uh, so let's see. Nice. Look at this. Bolo, Bolo's planting trees. I have two spruce in the back. My my dad brought them down in a five gallon pail. Each one of them, they're probably like two three feet tall. Now it was twenty years ago. Those those trees are fifty to sixty feet tall, and each one is twenty feet wide. So it's a you know benefit of sandy soil. Stuff grows um, like crazy here. So yeah, well they did pay me. They paid me five percent. Well, because it was late, but still it's kind of weird. I don't know. wasn't a big fan of that. I was just, at some point, I was just glad I got the money because I was like, you know, what? what is going on here? So um, let's go back to the hell. Um I got to burn a lot of pictures over to CDs and clean up my, um, uh, what am I, what am I doing here? So let me, here's the, uh, let's do this open, open. Okay. So for context here, this is the slab I had replaced. So or I am having replaced. So this was all taken out. And this was just on sand, but this what well, this is like an inch higher, and this is an inch lower. But the new slab will be four inches down from the siding. And this is actually, you can't really tell, but this is six to seven inches down. So the new one will be four inches. It'll be two inches below here. So of we'll a nice slope, but this, this was acting because this is tilting in at a pretty steep angle, and this was messing, you can see here, with the, uh, with the foundation. Now, the foundation's eight inches wide, and it goes down four feet, so this is kind of surface stuff, but I had to get this thing out of there um, because the sand underneath it was gone, and here again, the two outlets. Um, but uh, it's pretty, I mean, there's some can't really see them. It's all steel. So it's supposed to be hurricane green, but great siding but the problem and it's held up really well for 12 years. Like I'm glad I did it, but if you get any dense steel siding just you're screwed. So <laughs> that's just the way that it is you're you're not gonna you're not gonna really mitigate that. Um you know so let's take let's take a look here so you guys can can see the so this is this is as they were taking it out um you can see what they were doing here and this was all sand and then um you know and you can look at this so we hadn't had rain in a long time you could see the moisture underneath because then over here was like clay and dirt we don't have clay down here so because this didn't have a base um you could just see the water that was underneath and this this stuff was um and then you know it only went that far but this was just acting as a fulcrum up against here and especially winter and, and freeze and thaw and it's just a big mess so yeah they they were able to get all of this and then you know again they just point out what was kind of the obvious is it was just poorly, poorly put down um, but let me see if I have a really good angle here so I don't know. I think this is probably my best one. Well, let's do this one, so we can see the fire bush. So, so tomorrow, and by putting this all the way over, this is still six inches on my property, because up here, well, there's a there's the marker. No, not that. You can see it from the garage. There's the marker over on the other side there. Um, put in from the surveyor last year because I I, before I had any of this done I needed a survey and yeah there's the drop off here is is a little more pronounced but that's on purpose to make sure we have draining away from the foundation and then this is this is pretty level so I mean we're dropping down an eighth of an inch for every foot here so it gets a um, but again, this is going to be, there. this represents, I don't know how many cubic yards of, of uh, gravel. It's really crazy. There's, there's a ton of gravel in here. Like they were hauling an entire afternoon because this was dug down significantly. Um, so this gravel, you know, that, that came in here as a base. So we don't have, so obviously you can see we don't have the water issue because uh, the water is going to wick down and not up through that other stuff. Um, and there's there's isn't a basement obviously under the, the garage, uh, so there's nothing to deal with there. And there's actually not a basement on that side of the house, um, but uh, but yeah. So this will be a nice area to put a grill. Um, I can also kind of see this, envision this as an area to put my bike and put down, you know, like a put down a big cloth right here, kind of like a canvas thing, and and do like bike maintenance out here in summer, like I, I just envision this as being kind of a, almost a work area too. Like I can put my saw horses out here because right. If you put them out here, you got to move them when you are bringing your vehicles in. But if I put them out here, I'm doing stuff. Um, so I just see this as being such a nice work area, um, for me. But, uh, so, Hey, miss, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Wayne, take care. Thank you so much for, uh, following the show and all of the thumbs up and the subscriptions and watch hours. I appreciate it. Week from today, Megan Usui on the show. That is going to be a great one. So thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. And so let, let me do, uh, let me get this out of here. Let me do a wrap up because I'm, I want to get to bed too. This has been great. Um, look forward to, um, I look forward to a week from today. Again, Megan, that show will be starting at seven o'clock. And what motivates people to seek fitness? And this isn't some like pitch for a program or something. We had worked on this as a show to kind of inform the chapter into the philosophy of information. And Megan's going to talk about, and again, she's done this for, you know, 30 plus years she's going to here's what here's if you're young like what motivates you like a kid here's what motivates like somebody who's 20 or someone who's like 40 or 60 or someone working as a as a group trying to get fit or a family or does it really make a difference if like there's been a close call like a th- does a pandemic motivate you to get fit does someone close to you has like a heart attack and they were young right and they died you know like they're 50 or something does that motivate you to get fit so she has all of this stuff and she's going to talk about it. And then we are going to pretend we're on this committee for fitness and fortitude. And what would we have done in March of 2020? So that's going to be pretty cool. So CT, well, thank you, buddy. Appreciate you. Appreciate that. Thanks. Good. Also, let me take us out the same way I, I take us in and, and a couple other things there. So, whoa, gotta get back to, uh, back to here. So thank you everybody. And next on Monday, I will be, using the new, the new headsets. I'm excited about that. All right. Um, very cool. Okay. Take care, everybody.
1: As chaos erupts, torrents of
2: conflicting
1: yet urgent messages gush from media outlets. What is the magnitude of the incident and what should people do to protect themselves? Dr. David Perodin clarifies human behavior during days, weeks, months, or even years of chaos. Reporter James David Dixon of the Detroit News proclaims, The velocity of information is an education in the way people react and adapt to change. Never has it been more important to sift facts and stories for truth and meaning. The velocity of information will teach you how people have done it, in history, in the modern day and even in prison. There are teachable moments on every page. Buy The Velocity of Information, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times, available from your favorite bookstore or online retailer. A must read for parents, teachers, and taxpayers. Dr. David Perodin has written the most honest book about the $3 billion school safety industrial complex. Attorney James Sibley proclaims, a brave demonstration of speaking truth to power. School of Errors rips the lid off the billion-dollar school safety industry. Using real-world examples of successful responses in desperate situations, David contrasts the expensive window dressings pitched to panic parents. With the inexpensive and effective approaches proven to actually work read this book before you let your school waste another precious dollar on meaningless safety theater by the international bestseller school of errors rethinking school safety in america now at barnes and noble or amazon
2: describe the odor is it like when something electrical is burning and so on. Ridiculous, right? We don't shift the investigation to the reporter, but that's covertly what the school district thought needed to happen to prevent their investigation scrambling principals from burning out. And as this paragraph smolders, it would be prudent to consider bringing students with disabilities from the sidelines of safety and center them to active roles of detecting and reporting threats. So we had a rather difficult meeting Upon due diligence of examining the reporting system, I informed the district representative that I could not justify modifications to the existing model as such changes would make the system less accessible to students. Well, that was a short chit chat. The district folks believed or hoped that the threat input system could be modified and maintained with fidelity. I wasn't in alignment with that hypothesis, and so I was thanked and given notice that our partnership would be over at month's end. Business is business, but in school safety, it's never as simple as that.
0: How were the beans and chili that you had for breakfast? They were delicious. Thank you for asking. But now I am (laughs) very gassy. I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) Frogs out. Pew, that stinks very bad. I have to open the window. Oh no, my cap flew off and it was sucked into the engine. Holy smokes, the engine just cut out. We should use the decide model to help us make the right decision. Mayday, mayday. I am declaring a beans and chili emergency. Please advise for landing.